And hello, everybody. Welcome into Hoopsville. We are on the air for the yet another Sunday evening as we are getting ready for the final week of regular season action in Division Three basketball. Of course, some teams already done with their regular seasons as they are not participating in conference tournaments. But nonetheless, we are full bore into conference tournaments. Some conference tournaments already underway, already some upsets, or at least teams who are on that proverbial bubble. For example, Bates and Williams have lost in the uh, NESCAC tournament. Bates probably getting in thanks to that really strong SOS, but Williams will probably miss out after being the runners-up last year in the NCAA Men's Basketball Championship Tournament. That is the craziness that will certainly ensue for the next uh, two weeks, or two weeks, one week. (laughs) A week from tonight, we will be talking about who's in and who's out of the NCAA tournaments. As we figure, of course, automatic bids will be decided. Um, But we will also try and figure out who may be in and who may be out uh, as at-large teams. How our coverage will entail next week, stay tuned, but usually we go on about 6 o'clock. Eastern time for extended coverage. We'll get more information on exactly how our coverage will be next Sunday throughout the week. So follow us on Twitter at D3Hoopsville or hashtag Hoopsville. Follow us on email, hoopsville at d3hoops.com. Follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Hoopsville. Um, Certainly impressive uh, end of the season it will be as we will move forward and try and figure out who's in and out both on the men's and women's side. There's lots to talk about on both sides of things, and we will get our latest SOS numbers, etc. Of course, the final regional rankings that we will get to see will come out on Wednesday, those regional rankings through the results of this Sunday. The final regional rankings will be done next Sunday after all games are completed. We will just not see them. We will only see them when they hit, um, you know, get the NCAA tournament teams in place, etc., etc., Get a look at um, SOS numbers. If you have questions about how your team is doing, etc., let us know. We'll certainly try and answer your questions uh, at any point somewhere down the road. Um, so here's a question. Franklin and Marshall's men's basketball team defeated Dickinson on Saturday. Yes, they did. Both teams now have identical records with Dickinson likely having a higher SOS. Yes, Dickinson does. Dickinson has an SOS of a 541. Franklin and Marshall has a, a 505. First time FNM has been above 500 this year. On Friday, they play each other in the semifinals of the Centennial Conference Tournament. If the winner of the semifinal loses in the final, how do you assess each team's chances of receiving an at-large bid to the NCAA Tournament? I think Dickinson is in. Um, they got a 541. They'll likely be 20-6 and six at the worst. Um, but that 541 will go up a little bit no matter who they play. So I think they're safe. I think FNM's the one in trouble here. Their SOS may climb just a little bit. They will also be 20 and 6, but it's the SOS that is hurting them. Um, the, the advantage would be that Franklin Marshall wins the semifinals. It would become 4 and 2 in results versus regional rank that we know of. That number could change as of Wednesday, of course. Um, and I think FNM may be a little bit in better shape there. But I think Dickinson's definitely going to be in. I think FNM may or may not be in. I think Hopkins is a lock. Uh, at worst, they're 22 and 4 with a 529. At worst, um, I mean, at best, they're an AQ at 24 and 3. But at best, at large, they're 23 and 4. So 
I think the Centennial's got a decent chance of getting three teams in. I think Franklin and Marshall needs to win the semifinal versus Dickinson to to at least better position themselves. If they lose that game, their SOS is a 505, probably ticks up a little bit more, but now they're 20 and 6, whereas Dickinson would then be moving on at 21 and 6 at worst and getting into the tournament. So I think F&M needs to win the 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 semifinal at least over Dickinson to to maybe better position themselves as an at-large team in the Centennial. Flip Brooks points out, Dave, how about Center winning nine in a row and the last four in a row in the SAA. Today's game against Oglethorpe ended winning on a three. Yeah, hats off to Center. They seem to be catching the right stride at the right time. Remember, last year, Center was a really good team, but it seemed to struggle late in the year. Certainly did make the NCAA tournament, but it wasn't much to talk about after that. Uh, I think Center may be playing some really good basketball now, and it's nice to see Center playing so good. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how much better they play. Uh, obviously, as we get into the tournament action, that's where we certainly need to figure it out. But I, I think they're in, in some of the best shape uh, that they've been in in a while, and I'm certainly looking forward to seeing how they may transition uh, into the conference tournament. I'm not a fan, to be honest with you, of the SAA tournament. Um, ha- you'll hear more about uh, the tournament coming up with our conversation with Millsaps, but I, I find it a little surprising um, that you know you play three sets of games Friday, Saturday, and Sunday in the SAA. I understand you want to have everybody participate, but I just think that's killer. Um, nobody plays a three-team tournament necessarily. I, I know the ODAC does. They're about the only other ones. Um, I, I just, I'm just i not in love with it, and I think it hurts teams more than it helps them. But that's just my opinion on that. Um, we'll see how it transitions out. Lots to cover tonight on the show. Let's give you a breakdown of the guests that we'll have on the show. Coming up, we'll talk to Southern Virginia men's basketball coach Dan Engelstad, also from the Northeast region. In the Atlantic region, we'll talk to William Patterson's Jose Remembas about his team. We'll then get an ODAC preview of their tournament with Jeremy Franklin from Washington and Lee. He'll give us an idea of what he thinks will happen on the men's and women's sides of the tournament. The men's tournament starting tomorrow. Uh, of course, some men's games in the ODAC just finishing up today. So we'll talk about those. Women's tournament starts on Tuesday. Then the men play on Thursday down in the Salem Civic Center in the quarterfinals. Women on Friday, followed by semifinals Saturday and Sunday for both. Uh, after we talk to Jeremy, we'll stay in the South Region, talk to Millsaps women's basketball coach Chuck Wiggleman, Winkleman, or better known as Coach Wink. Uh, following that, we'll talk to Caltech women's basketball coach Sandra uh, Mulbert, uh, Mulbert. Sorry, uh, We'll talk to her about her team and the fact that they have taken a page out of the men's book and gotten um, into a pretty good situation. We thought we'd have a – we pre-taped with her. We thought we'd have a short conversation with her. It turned out to be a very interesting conversation. So we've set it out in its own interview coming up later in the show. Also talk to Aurora men's basketball coach James Lancaster. Uh, and then we'll take your questions and thoughts, et cetera. We'll be on the air until at least 9.30 Eastern time. So if you have questions for us, tweet us at D3Hoopsville or hashtag Hoopsville. Email me, Hoopsville at D3Hoops.com, or join us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Hoopsville. This is that time we're all trying to figure out who might get at large bids and whatnot with all the upsets that could take place. And so please, if you've got questions, we'll try and give you our opinion as to who may be in and who may be out. Um, yeah, Back to the Caltech story real quick. Again, Caltech women's basketball now won two in a row at home in Skyac play. They haven't won 
Um, more than that, or haven't won a game in the sky until for 64 games dating five years ago. Now they've won two in a row, also something they hadn't done in five years. We'll talk about their team and why their team may have some really good weapons for the future, too. This isn't a Caltech team that's going to necessarily be disappearing anytime soon. Great conversation with them. Uh, I'm looking forward to that. A lot of the conference tournaments uh, are in place. We have... Um, a terrific page of where you can see these games set out, and I'm going to have to find it. I, I I thought I knew where it was, but our good friend Gordon Mann helped me out earlier by sending me uh, the, the link, so I have at least an idea of where everybody is. It's our conference tourney tracker, as it is. Um, so we have all the conference tournament action in one place. You'll see when games are and who's doing what. Um, it's on our d3hoops.com page, um, and you can certainly get more information there. But we'll give you an idea of who's playing who and what's going on uh, throughout all the conference tournament action. Of course, one conference doesn't have a tournament. That is the UAA, and more craziness in the UAA. NYU lost both games this weekend to Chicago and Wash U, um, really setting up a, a situation pretty much with the, where they are done, um, whereas... And there's still a race for who's going to get the automatic bid in the UAA on the men's side. We'll talk about the women in a minute. But Emory's got a, a one-game lead now on Wash U and Chicago. Emory will play Rochester next week, that game at Emory. In the meantime, Wash U and Chicago will play against each other. So both of them need Rochester to lose and then to win their game. So that'll eliminate one of them. And then New NYU is a game, two games... Excuse me, two games back, they've been eliminated. They're going to have to hope for an at-large bid, though that might be tough. Granted, at 16-8, they then will take on Brandeis. They could improve to 17-8, but I don't know if NYU can get into the NCAA tournament. Case Western Reserve, who had started off the season so well uh, and doing so well, has lost seven of their last ten uh, and now 6-7 and seven in conference, along with Rochester, who's 6-7, and seven, Carnegie Mellon, and Brandeis at the bottom at 4 and 9. So interesting matchups next sun Saturday, I should say. Emory will play Rochester. You know Rochester would love to upset Emory's hopes of getting the automatic bid. Um then Washu and Chicago will play each other with the hopes that Emory has lost. Of course, then it'll come down to tiebreakers. Off the top of my head, I believe Washu will have the tiebreaker on Emory cuz they they um swept uh Emory earlier this season, both at home and away, but I'm double checking that. Uh, no, I, I stand corrected. Emory did beat Wash U and Chicago after losing to them. So the tiebreaker, I think, goes to the next team in line, and that would be NYU, and that's where Emory's going to be in trouble because NYU um, beat Emory both times. Wash U um, split with NYU. Chicago split with NYU. So Emory would lose a tiebreaker if they get to Wash U or Chicago. So Emory has to win on um, – Saturday next week against Rochester to guarantee themselves a bid to the NCAA tournament, just as WashU and Chicago have to win to guarantee themselves. WashU is probably in better shape to make the NCAA tournament as an at-large than Chicago is by by a landslide, I think, because at worst WashU is 19 and six, whereas Chicago would be 16 and seven and probably or 16 and nine and most likely out like Carthage was last year. So Chicago needs to win to guarantee themselves. But really, Emory loses. The winner of the WashU Chicago game will be the UAA champion uh, in the league. Um, agree on the SAA. Center is seated two, having tied Rhodes, who hosts. Wonder whether Center could get in that large bid this year. 
Uh, I'm going to look at Center's numbers real quick. Center has an SOS of a 518. Um, they're 19 and 4 right now. I think they're in okay shape. I wouldn't go and brag about them necessarily. Uh, let's see, regionally ranking wise, I'm trying to remember where all these teams are regionally ranked. It's not that simple. But in the South, Center was sitting fifth. Let's just say argumentatively ahead of them, Randolph-Macon gets the AQ, so does Emory, and so does East Texas Baptist. That leaves Virginia Wesleyan and then Center. I think Center at least gets to the table. That SOS worries me a little bit. Um, but granted, they don't have a lot of losses either. They, let's say they go into it at 20-5 and five, having lost in the championship or in the semifinals. In that case, if they had lost in the championship, then they're 21-5. and five. I think Center is okay. Their SOS is not terrific, though that SOS will – technically climb uh that first game uh, who is that again i don't remember who they're playing in the first game but that first game could kill them uh only because that won't help their sos it's their semifinal and championship that could help their sos and in that case center could certainly help themselves center can't lose in the quarterfinals or they're going to kill their sos um i think they need to, to play minimum two if not all three games this coming weekend to better position themselves for conference action, of course, at Rhodes. So hats off to Rhodes um, for that um, uh, opportunity. Certainly impressive, to say the least. If you have questions for us, tweet us at D3Hoopsville or hashtag Hoopsville. Email us, hoopsville at D3Hoops.com, or join us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Hoopsville. That's how you can get in touch with us. Uh, certainly we'll try and answer your questions. Got lots to talk about on the show, certainly, and we want to hear from you. So please feel free to let us know what your thoughts are. You can even chat on the YouTube page if you happen to be watching it directly on YouTube. The comment section I can see, and we will certainly try and interact with you if we can, um, and so on and so forth. So looking forward to hearing from you. Of course, on the women's side of things, a little bit more cut and dry when it comes to at-large bids and, and strength of schedule numbers, only because... The top of women's basketball is so good. But, for example, the Mid-Atlantic region, where uh, certainly we are based, um, teams are not taking advantage of the opportunity. Salisbury lost earlier this week. Um, Scranton, I think, uh, took a stumble. Uh, I, I, I shouldn't say that because I can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, Scranton didn't stumble. Scranton won. Um, they beat Catholic on Saturday. Yeah, they haven't lost since they lost to Catholic on the 17th. Forgive me for that mistake. But then Stevenson, who could have had an opportunity to jump into a hosting situation, loses their last conference game of the season to not finish the conference undefeated, finished 15 and one in the MAC Commonwealth. You know that hurts them in the regional rankings. You really would would if they had won that, it changes things around entirely. And I wouldn't say that Salisbury, Scranton, or Stevenson are are safe to get the AQs in their conference. Um, potentially, Stevenson's going to have to play Lebanon Valley on Wednesday, who they just lost to. Granted, at home this time uh, on Wednesday instead of being on the road. That could potentially uh, be a loss, and you know everyone's going for the Mustangs. On the other side, Scranton easily beat Catholic. That doesn't mean that game doesn't come back next Saturday, and Catholic's gunning for them. And on the uh, Salisbury side of things, Marymount beat them, but that doesn't mean they're, you know, they can't lose to Marymount, Mary Washington, or somebody else. So I think those three conferences are not cut and dry. Those will take up pool C bids because all three of those teams are going to make the NCAA tournament um, for sure. There's no way they aren't. But hosting is what it becomes important here. 
We'll see on regional rankings when they come out Wednesday. I think there's an argument now that, that Scranton could move ahead of Salisbury. The question is, is that extra loss for Salisbury and Stevenson, how does that shuffle the deck? Well, the head-to-head of Salisbury beating Stevenson will most likely keep Salisbury ahead of Stevenson. But still, one more loss, things change around. And so hosting's big now. So when we see regional rankings come out, basically understand that whoever's 1-2 and two has got the sh- – not the sure bet, but the most likely bet that they're going to be hosting, at least on the women's side. On the men's side, you can bet they're hosting, except if their women's team, St. Thomas would be an example of this, is in position to host themselves. Remember, women have priority uh, in the first weekend. So that can change things around dramatically. And, of course, with two buys, that will change things around on the men's side too. So for the most part, if you're sitting in the top two regional slots, you can feel good about that, except if you're the St. Thomas men, you're going to be hitting the road the first weekend no matter what. But understand that that's kind of where we're aiming at. does not mean the team third in the rankings doesn't have an opportunity to host two for varying reasons, especially on the men's side. Again, if St. Thomas has to move on, then whoever's at third in the region might get a chance. Of course, in the West region in general, that doesn't necessarily happen because they have so many oddities with, with travel and the like, so they may have to find somebody else to host. So that's why top two, three spots are so important in the regions because you get a chance to host that opening weekend uh, and that'll certainly be important. Do you think balancing the regions created an imbalance problem? Uh, regions vastly different in terms of talent. You know, I, I don't know, uh, Matt. Uh, I think balancing the regions had to take place for starters. Uh, and when you only had, what, about four or five teams ranked in the Atlantic region, and you had eight ranked in the Mid-Atlantic, um, I think that caused a problem. Um, and and I, don't, I don't like it. So I like the fact that we balance things off. I also like the fact that now all the regions are the same. Remember, the Central region and the women's was always called the Central. It always involved the Wyack. It did not involve the the Heartland. Well, the men's side, the the Midwest region, didn't have the Wyack, and it did have the Heartland. It just got confusing at times. I think I like how they balance it off. As far as a, a, a regional talent, listen, the talent's in all those places anyway. Uh, whether they're in the Central region or the West region or wherever, the talent is where the talent is. I don't think the regions have any necessary uh, change with that. The East region will tell you that their talent pool has been picked over a little bit more than usual. The Atlantic will tell you the same thing, but just because you realign the regions didn't change that talent pool in the states of New York and New Jersey and elsewhere. Just because you rearrange the central region doesn't mean the talent pool in the in Wisconsin changed. Um, I think it's still tough. Um, yeah, they, they made the central region a little bit more tougher on the men's side, but that doesn't mean it's not going to change somewhere else down the road. At least the Atlantic now has teams we're talking about instead of from two different conferences. I also think this year we're also seeing, just timing-wise, not only have the regions realigned, but we got a lot of parity, especially on the men's side of things. That just happened. If we hadn't realigned regions, we'd still be having the parity, certainly. I don't think that changes the outcomes of games. And so I think we're just seeing an, a very strange year for us. We don't have any dominating teams necessarily anywhere across the country. You certainly see a lot of regional uh, games that are there are regions that are up in the air in terms of who you put where. I think the Northeast region is a, is a cluster right now. Uh, I would love to have seen them fix the Northeast and take some, some teams out of there. There just wasn't a solution, to be completely honest, so they couldn't unbalance uh, the Northeast region. But I think we're just dealing with a crazy parity here this year. Uh, I do know, having talked to members on the committee, they're going to do a very uh, um, uh, work very hard to avoid common matchups in the NCAA tournament on the men's side. They're going to do their very best to to 
use the 500 miles as much as they can to to break up the tournament. I think last year we saw a little bit of that. But it, remember, we've had a couple weird years with the men. Most of these members on the committee have seen basically three different tournaments. Um, you saw the uh, this will be the third different tournament. You see the Amherst ver or the Amherst winning championship down in Atlanta. That tournament was just crazy. You couldn't put a bracket together that wasn't going to be difficult because we were playing one game a week until we got to Salem. Then you had last year where the committee, a lot of the committee, hadn't done a traditional bracket. As a result, I think some decisions were made that weren't ideal. I think they'll even tell you that looking back, they wish they could have fixed a couple of things. I think the big one that jumps out of me was Virginia Wesleyan um, hosting three teams from the Mid-Atlantic, Hopkins, Alvernia, um, and uh, DeSales. I don't think, uh, not DeSales, I'm sorry, uh, Alvernia, Hopkins, uh, oh, and Wesley. I don't think that was ideal. I think we made some mistakes there, and they like to fix those. So, listen, I, I'm not going to – I think that we got a lot of parity. I think they're going to try a lot to, to open up these brackets and, and make it as as uh, even as they can within the guidelines and rules, but we'll see what happens as we move down. But I don't think it, balancing the regions causes an imbalance. I, I, do, I don't believe – if anything, it made the Atlantic region better. If anything, it made it better. Now the Atlantic region is at least more of a conversation – uh, than it used to be. Uh, so cases like that. Did it make the central region harder and the west region not as tough? Sure, but I don't think that caused an imbalance, as it were. Although center's only loss out of conference was to Johns Hopkins. Yes, that's that's where center is taking some advantage. But it's amazing you play Johns Hopkins and they've got a good SOS and you don't. Uh, I think that's where you got to get into some issues here. Just notice the clock. We're well behind time, so we got to get going. we got to bring in our, our guests from the northeast and that is uh, Southern Virginia, uh, Southern Vermont's Dan Engelstad. So we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll talk to him. If you have any questions for us, tweet us at D3Hoopsville or hashtag Hoopsville. Email us, Hoopsville at D3Hoops.com, or join us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Hoopsville. Hoopsville, presented by D3Hoops.com and the National Association of Basketball Coaches. We'll be back with more Hoopsville, and to answer your questions, send them to us. We'll look forward to answering them here on the show. We'll also talk more about the Hoopsville fundraiser. You'll listen to Hoopsville, and we'll be back with more Hoopsville right after this. College basketball lives in Kansas City at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. The College Basketball Experience is the place to get your game on. It's not a museum, it's an experience you won't forget. Discover the history of the game in the National Collegiate Basketball Hall of Fame, featuring the Gallery of Honor, Mentor's Circle, and Honor Theater. Suit up in the latest CBE logoed Nike gear at the CBE Hoop Shop. Elevate your game today and visit the house that college basketball built. We've got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division III basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.D3Hoops.com. I know sports is important, but having the academic part along with it is a big plus. I've discovered in myself you know, a newfound ability to overcome adversity at all different angles. At a Division three school, school is really shaped around you developing yourself as a complete individual. The end result, in my mind, is you just become a very well-rounded person. Before I came into college, I didn't really think I'd be able to balance so much. It helps a lot that you have 
a family with your team that can guide you. With a D3 school, there's a lot of time for other opportunities. The coaches expect a lot of you during soccer, but after soccer, that's your own personal time to really find out who you are and other opportunities that you can pursue. By balancing all of my interests, basketball, my leadership skills, and academics, I'm able to better prioritize my life and to manage it. And welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody. Hope you're enjoying the show. It is the February 22nd edition, and we're on the air for an extended period of time tonight until 9.30 at least, uh, at least just making that official. We've been on until nearly 9.30 a lot recently, but now it's just official. Lots of guests to get to, and we'll get to them here starting here momentarily. But just a reminder, again, Twitter at D3Hoopsville or hashtag Hoopsville. Email us, hoopsville at d3hoops.com. Or join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Hoopsville. Of course, Hoopsville presented by D3Hoops.com and the National Association of Basketball Coaches. Also presented by kind donations from yourselves. We will tweet out some information on how you can donate to the Hoopsville Fundraising Project. has another week left in it uh, right here. Um, any Anything you can do to help us, we appreciate. We're 60% of the way to our goal, but our goal is only half of what we raised last year. So really, we're a third of the way to a goal that we had hit last year. So we certainly hope you will take uh, take it into consideration whether you can help us um, cover Division Three the way we think Division Three deserves to be covered. Let's uh, jump into our interviews here and get going on to the Hoopsville Hotline, and we'll talk to the first team, who last year we talked to early in the season after they upset Williams. We didn't talk to them this time when they beat Williams to start the season because, well, it's starting to become status quo for the Mountaineers. But Southern Vermont is now 22-3, and 16-0, finishing up an undefeated NECC conference. Uh, and heading into conference play, they will, they will host either Mitchell or Becker coming up here on Thursday. So we thought we'd talk to Dan Engelstad from Southern v Vermont, and he joins us on the Hoopsville Hotline. Coach, welcome to Hoopsville. Dave, great to be here. Thanks for having me tonight. Absolutely appreciate you taking the time. First and foremost, last year you guys finished 16 and 10, 10 and 6 in the NECC. Certainly the Williams win was big and helped you guys get off the ground, as it were. Williams win was just one of many this year. Uh, maybe got you off the ground, but more importantly, you guys have been on a tear since the beginning of the 2014 part of your year. Yeah, I got I got a really great group with me this year, and uh, we learned a lot from last year. It was a uh, year where I brought in a lot of new faces, and we had to build a foundation. And I think with this year's group, um, I had a couple returners that have really done a great job of leading, and then we've added some really talented pieces around them. And uh, the buy-in has just been tremendous. You know, I've been involved in this game now. I've been coaching. This is year eight, and this is probably the most selfless team that I've been around, and they have full hook, line, and sinker bought into what we're trying to do, and it's just been a lot of fun. And, and you know, you surround yourself with good people and good staff and good players. You got you got a chance to do something special, and um, you know, I'm, I'm lucky to have those guys with us. Early on in the season, you took a couple of hits. One was a, a loss to Vermont, and the other one followed up at three days later with a loss all the way down at Marymount in Virginia. He then went on a five-game win streak and then lost to a pretty good Bates squad. At least that's what it seems like they are. You haven't lost since that Bates game. Of course, that meant you got into conference play and won all 16 of those. And, and while the conference certainly wouldn't necessarily come up in conversations as being one of the strongest in the country, what has been the secret to keep from getting tripped up in the NACC this year? Yeah, we, we wanted to schedule hard. You know, I wanted to make sure that we, we – played enough teams that were, were tough and, and obviously Williams was ranked in the top 10 in the country at the time and 
We knew going to Marymount, you know, we knew they had everyone returning back, and the CAC is usually one of the top leagues, and Castleton in the neck, and Vassar in the Liberty. So we wanted to prepare ourselves for league play, and, um, you know, I wanted to give our guys an opportunity to play Vermont. You know, when I did it, I was after the first week of the season, I was kicking myself in the butt a little <laughs> bit. I said, we just played the University of Vermont, got on a bus, drove all the way down to Marymount. It was a, it was a great trip. We went to the White House, but, you know, it was, it was a big week for our guys, and an emotional week. We had we had a home game in the, in, in the midst of that as well. Uh, but it was it was a really good experience, and I think it, it it allowed us to see what we were capable of doing. You know, we had some good wins early on, um, and then we just came back after break and we played a, a tough Bates team, and we knew they were good, and we knew that we had to really uh, bring our A game for that for that one. And um, you know, they had got a chance to play a couple games, and, and we actually played well. We had a great first half. We had a great first half, and we played. Uh, we were up 10, I think, with 10 minutes to go against them. And credit to them, they made a lot of big shots down the stretch and made some plays. And, and you know, good teams in, in a great league like the NESCAC, they're going to do that. Uh, but we just really wanted to, to put ourselves against some really good competition early to get ourselves ready for league play. And, and let's not discredit our league. We have some really good teams in our league and good coaches. Regis has had a great year. Uh, they've beaten some good teams. Uh, Brian Gorman does a great job at Becker. You know, Mitchell's always a tough team to beat, and they got some guys in midseason. So um, we knew we had to be ready, and, and our guys have just they've responded every day, and, and they've done a great job of bringing it. You know, this is a team, again, 22-3 and three on the season. Um, you talk about that out of conference. Um, you played a couple of non-Division three teams, uh, Vermont, and then you played Vermont Tech. Um, um, but outside of Williams and, and maybe Marymount, uh, you didn't have, you know, you probably thought Vassar would be better, but you didn't have the world's toughest schedule. I know you like to schedule tougher. Is it one of those where sometimes you, you do your best and it just ends up happening the way it happens? Yeah, you know, we were we thought it was going to be a little bit tougher of a schedule, as you mentioned, and then we play, in a, and it's a great tournament for us. It's called the Tri-State Tournament. So that's where Vermont Tech and MCLA, you know, they ended up winning. That's with RPI as well. So it's local teams, and it's been tradition. So that's that's something that we really enjoy playing. And Castleton's a good team in the NAC. And so we, we thought we had scheduled pretty hard, and we, we I knew that I had a really good team on my hands um, with the guys returning and with some of the guys coming in. And, you know, that's something that I'm going to learn from as well and, and try to schedule even tougher as we go forward and, and make sure we challenge ourselves. And, and so we just get ready for, for postseason play. Team that only has two seniors on it, and I only say only has because it's a bunch of juniors that are really leading the way with this squad. Uh, Deshaun Hamlet is leading the way nearly 20 points a game, seven and a half rebounds a game. Casey Hall, a junior, at 10 points a game, six rebounds a game. You do have a senior, and I'm going to butcher his name, so I apologize now. Uh, Delopo Ologui. That's oh, oh, he's he's actually been, it's been butchered many times. Yeah, at many arenas, but uh, you know, I, I, I can I start to say a couple words about him. Feel feel free. Yeah, he's he's been an unbelievable leader, and uh, he he's one of those guys. He was my first commit to come up here, and it's been really special to see him uh, develop not only as a player but as a leader and, and as a person and. Um, he's doing great things for us. He, he brings it on the defensive side all the time. He's probably, in my estimation, one of the best athletes in the country um, at Division Three. I mean, we, we run lob plays for him, and he goes up and gets him. He, he's just a, a really good kid and um, also one of the, the smarter kids in, in, our, in our school and in our program. He's in the Rad Tech program. And you mentioned Deshaun Hamlet and Casey Hall. Deshaun's 20 points, and if you look closer, it's 20 points in 20 minutes, yeah. which is – 
out of this world. You know, he is one of those guys that just has a knack for scoring the basketball. And um, he comes in, and he actually comes off the bench for us. And he's done an unbelievable job of buying into that role. And, um, you know, the teams are a little bit worn down, and then they got to face him. They're just like, where's our break? <laughs> and then Casey Hall, as you mentioned, you know, he's one of the, the leaders in the country in block shots. So that front line, you know, we, that's pretty formidable front line. I don't I don't care who we play, and um, so it, it's it's been fun to coach these guys, and they've done a great job of buying in. And um, you know, it, I could go down the list with the, with the guys we had, but it's but it's, a, it's the, the fun thing is, and as you alluded to, is we're young. You know, Delapo's a senior, and he's going. We're going to miss him because he d- brings a lot not only to the team with his talent, but with his leadership. But we do return, as you said, a, a really great chunk of of the guys and. Um, so we're we're really excited to to finish it out this year strong, and then look forward to the future as well. And Delapo nine point seven points a game. William um, Bromerski nine points a game. You got a lot of guys contributing. You play ten guys in in a vast majority of your games. Twenty one or more of the twenty five you play ten guys in. Um, and what's also interesting is you know you you talk about a guy scoring twenty points a game. You talk about other guys scoring nearly ten points a game each. You're still only scoring 77 points a game because you don't have to score a lot. You're holding your opponents to 64. See, there's a there's a side of defense on this is on top of this on the on the side of offense. Yeah, we we uh, labeled our defense and the style of play wreckage, and it's, it's something we're only as good as the sum of our parts. And we do a great job. Uh, staff helps me out tremendously of of getting guys in and out and giving them those four minute bursts. You know, we I studied a lot, and I remember talking to you last year uh, after we beat Williams, but studied a lot of the VCU stuff and and not didn't just sell out to what they're doing because they do a shock is unbelievable in what he does. But we wanted to add our own part, and you know, I'm a firm believer, especially come this time, you got to be really good in the half court, not only offensively but defensively. So we just want our guys to believe in what we're trying to do and and. They know they've done it. This is, like I said, probably the most selfless team that I've ever been around because they know they're going to have a guy come get them with about four or five minutes into them playing. And the guy coming off the bench, you know, I'm coming off with Devontae Jordan, who in my opinion is one of the fastest guys in the country, Nate Goldsmith, who's, you know, only averaging under 20 minutes and scoring almost eight points a game. So we just we just got ways, and that's the fun thing about this group. And because there's none of the egos that are involved, they all believe and they all know that if you know we're all going to play about 20 and some are going to play anywhere from 20 to 30 minutes and you know maybe 10 to 15 for some of the guys at the uh, you know my 7 8 9 in rotation but they're all really talented and they they've done a great job of uh, buying into the defensive side and we pressure you know that's anyone that that plays against us will tell you we we run and jump we pressure we zone press you we we throw a lot of different defenses at you, at you and um you know our our goal at the end of the day is to is to wear you out and um, you better have a couple ball handlers because we're coming. You've won 15 straight in a row. Um, you are you won the conference going away by four games over Regis at 12 and four. Becker and Elms were tied at 10 and six. Mitchell at nine and seven. Daniel Webster at seven and nine. You'll take on Becker or Mitchell in the semifinals once they've played their quarterfinal game. So you, you win the conference by four games, but I got a I got a sinking suspicion something scares you about this conference. What scares you? Uh, that can keep you guys from winning this conference tournament? All these teams are well coached. And as you know, any time you get this time of year, uh, it, basketball is, is it's a funny game and uh, you know it has, it has a short memory. So with our group, we're just trying to tell them and prepare them as much as possible. Look, we're not trying to protect this. We're not trying to protect the undefeated regular season. That's not what we're trying to do. At this time of year, you've got to be on the attack and you've got to be the aggressor. 
So we're going to talk to the guys, and that's going to be something that we're going to reiterate to them this week. Is just we got it now. It's a new season. We break it up into three seasons. We have our our non-conference play, and we have our conference play. And and so far they've done a great job of passing every test. But you can see it in our guys' eyes. They're not done. Like they they want more. And um, you know we're I'm I'm excited to see how they respond. You know our gym and our our crowd has been unbelievable. That we call them the Mac Pack and. Um, they do a great job of, of representing our school and, and do a great job supporting our guys. Uh, but it's, it's, it's a great opportunity for our guys to play in probably the best environment that they will in our building. And uh, the word is spread into the local Bennington community, and so I expect a really good environment, and our guys like playing in those ones, so it should be fun. The reality of the thing is while you were regionally ranked last week, you're near the bottom of a, of a large Northeast regional rankings because of the amount of teams in the Northeast, obviously. That probably – in your mind already is there, but that pretty much makes this a, you got to win the AQ. Uh, there's no guarantees, even if you're 23 and four of making the NCAA tournament with an as an at-large team, does that change the focus or does that enhance the focus? I think it enhances the focus. You know, we, we know, and, and we wouldn't want to have it any other way, to be honest with you. You know, we, we feel like we are one of the best teams in the country. That's just how, you know, what I feel I have in front of me. And, and we understand that and know that we've, you know, with the, some of our conference schedule and has, has hurt us a little bit. Um, but at the end of the day, we control our destiny. If we come out and play the way we're capable of and play the way, uh, then we have a chance to, to win our conference and get a chance to, you know, one of our goals was to, to win the, the, the tournament and get a chance to play in the NCAA tournament. And that's been a dream of mine, and I know for our guys. So we're focused on our vision and our goal, and uh, we know we can't look past anything or anyone. And every day has got to be important, and, you know, it's going to be locking into the scout and knowing the little things. Because at this time of year, it's, it's the details, and it's staying so locked in on each possession and just knowing the, the little intricacies of what the opponent's trying to do and, and know how we're trying to execute and maybe put a couple wrinkles here or there and, um, but it's it's a fun time of year, and our guys wouldn't have it any other way. We're we're going to try to win this league, and um, hopefully get a chance to represent in the NCAA tournament. Um, should also point out uh, 479 SOS. I know you'd love to improve that. That's partly because of the NECC. I think we'll improve it next year, won't we? Yeah, that's the that's the plan, and and hopefully we can come back down there and and play in at Stevenson and the Hoop Hall and. Uh, I know that will, will help it tremendously, and uh, you know I've, I've been talking to some teams too. You know, I've, I've reached out to some really good teams, and uh, look forward to getting a really tough non-conference schedule next year. And and I know our league's getting better and getting good. You know, like I said, Regis and Elms and Becker and Daniel Webster—they're all going to get—they're all good, and they're going to get better. And it's 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 a fun time to be in the NACC. And um, so I'm excited for the future of our program, for our league. I think some really fun things are happening up here in the Northeast. Before I let you go, I should point out you got a ton of Maryland guys on your team um, and sprinkled in with some New York and Connecticut's. You just can't let go of those Maryland roots of yours from St. Mary's <laughs> College, can you? I got the job up here, and I said, you know, I, I got to go home because I got too many people back home that have uh, helped me along the way with, with uh, professionally and uh, a lot of connections, and, and a lot of them I trust their their word on guys. And so I, I know I had some good character guys coming up here to play for me and um, and and then we sprinkled, like you said, we sprinkled some in the Albany area, sprinkled some in Connecticut, and um, we put together a pretty fun family atmosphere up here at Southern Vermont. But yeah, Maryland's home, so I'll uh, wherever wherever uh, I'll be. That's you know, you look at Holy Cross's rosters, the the Crusaders. They got a lot of Maryland kids there, and uh, when I was time at Mount St. Mary's as well, uh, you know, I was able to uh, 
recruits a lot of the, the D.C. area. So that's, uh, that, that will never change. Well, I noticed Corey Christensen's from uh, Sharon, Connecticut, Housatonic Valley Regional High. I can say I actually know that school. My high school is not that far away from there. But, of course, I also know those other ones from Walt Whitman and Largo and Bowie and Reservoir. Uh, it's going to be fun to see you guys play next year, certainly. But we're looking forward to seeing how the rest of this year transpires. Obviously, big games ahead in the conference tournament. We wish you all the best. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you so much for having me on tonight. It's, it's always fun, and it's always great to talk about Southern Vermont basketball and, and uh, appreciate all the work you do. You know, it's, uh, there's not many avenues where D3 Hoops gets out there, and, and you do a wonderful job of uh, putting it out there for everybody. So, Dave, I appreciate you. Well, thank you. I was going to give you the chance of the final word. Do you want to finish on that or anything else? No, I'm just uh, excited for, for our guys. You know, this is a, a great opportunity. They came in here. They shared in, in our vision of what we are trying to do, and um, the, the job's not finished, and, and I think we, we have a group that's, that's hungry to try to achieve this dream. So, um, I'm excited. Let's do it. Very good. Dan Anglestad, Northeast Region of the South, Southern Vermont. Coach, congratulations. We'll look forward to seeing how you guys do this week and hopefully see you in the NCAA tournament as well. Sounds good, buddy. Talk to you. Take care. Dan Engelstad joining us on the Hoopsville Hotline again. 22-3 and overall. They went undefeated in the conference at 16-0. and Have won 15 straight. They will take on Mitchell or Becker. That game at home on the 27th. That is, uh, what did I say that was, Friday? Um, and then if they win that, they'll host a championship game on Sunday. When we come back, we'll jump from Southern Ver Vermont, I keep saying Virginia, Southern Vermont to New Jersey. We'll talk William Patterson Pioneers basketball with Coach Jose Rabimbas. If you've got questions for us or our guests, tweet us at D3Hoopsville or hashtag Hoopsville. Email us hoopsville at D3Hoops.com or join us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Hoopsville. Hoopsville presented by D3Hoops.com and the National Association of Basketball Coaches will be back right after this. We've got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division III basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. I know sports is important, but having the academic part along with it is a big plus. I've discovered in myself, you know, a newfound ability to overcome adversity at all different angles. At a Division three school, school is really shaped around you developing yourself as a complete individual. The end result in my mind is you just become a very well-rounded person. Before I came into college, I didn't really think I'd be able to balance so much. It helps a lot that you have a family with your team that can guide you. With a D3 school, there's a lot of time for other opportunities. The coaches expect a lot of you during soccer, but after soccer, that's your own personal time to really find out who you are and other opportunities that you can pursue. By balancing all of my interests, basketball, my leadership skills, and academics, I'm able to better prioritize my life and to manage it. College basketball lives in Kansas City at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. The College Basketball Experience is the place to get your game on. It's not a museum, it's an experience you won't forget. Discover the history of the game in the National Collegiate Basketball Hall of Fame, featuring the Gallery of Honor, Mentor's Circle, and Honor Theater. Suit up in the latest CBE logoed Nike gear at the CBE Hoop Shop. Elevate your game today and visit the house that College Basketball built. 
And welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody. Hope you're enjoying the show. Again, reminder, Twitter at D3Hoopsville or hashtag Hoopsville. Email us, Hoopsville at D3Hoops.com or join us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Hoopsville. Talking to a lot of teams trying to secure automatic bids to the NCAA tournament by winning their conference title. Um, and, of course, that means in-conference tournament action. We talked about a couple tournament uh, conferences that were already in the tournament action, being the NSCAC and the NCAC, or the NACC, I should say. I apologize. Um, one of the other teams, uh, other conferences that already gotten into tournament action uh, as well is the NJAC. And uh, leading the NJAC uh, is Richard Stockton, but a, a game back at the end of the, of the regular season was William Patterson. And William Patterson will take on uh, usually hot at the end of the season, New Jersey City, who's coming roaring in at um, having won, I think, nine of their last ten. That game will take place coming up on Tuesday. So we thought we'd touch base with the Pioneers. And joining us on the Hoopsville Hotline is their head coach, Jose Rabimbas. Coach, welcome to welcome to Hoopsville, sir. Uh, glad to be on. Thanks, After, Dave. Well, I appreciate you taking the time. Nineteen and six on the season. You guys certainly uh, started the year on a tear. Despite the loss to Lehman and Richard Stockton, you guys were pretty much unbeatable until you rematched with Richard Stockton. Uh, and then you guys kind of struggled at the end of the season, losing to Kane, New Jersey City, and Rowan. You know, is it just is it look that simple? It's been an up and down season, or has it just been one of those where the last three kind of just got you at the wrong time? Yeah, I mean, we just you know we ended up playing having to play four games in eight days right at the end of the uh, the year, and um, we were just we just got beat up. You know, we we've been playing basically just eight players all year, and our starters have been playing major minutes, you know, thirty minutes plus, and we just kind of got beat up, and we just. Uh, Hit a snag with you know you know some pretty good teams you know very well coached and uh, teams that know us very well and they did a very good job and we had you know two point loss to um, to Kane University and also a uh, two point loss the other night to Rowan you know on the buzzer beater so uh, we just kind of hit a little bit of a you know tired spell but having you know six days to kind of recover we um, we feel pretty good about going into on Tuesday's game against New Jersey City U and as you said they're really hot right now so. It uh, seems to be a tradition going on down there with, with <laughs> Coach Brown, and they do a very good job, as you know. Yeah, they love to catch fire late in the season, do they not? Um, they actually won eight of their last ten to get to thirteen and thirteen overall. You know, let's you know, you talk about that stretch. Weather certainly became an issue for you guys. You got to, have to reschedule a ton of games. You point out you played a tear there between uh, November. Uh, uh, let's see the in the month of February you played basically. Um, you know five, six games in a very short period of time. How hard is that also to keep the team focused when you're constantly having to change game schedules? Well, I mean, we started preparing for Jersey City way back in January, and then we prepared for them the following week again, and then the following week again, then we finally got a chance to play them. <laughs> so, you know, it, for us, it, you know, became a little bit challenging, you know, just because, you know, you know our kids want to play the games and uh, keep changing the scouting report, obviously, on them. Is a little bit tricky, as you can imagine, with uh, 19 and 20 year old kids. But you know, our kids, you know, hung in there, and you know, our opponents just did you know, a pretty good job of um, taking some of the things that we like to do away. And we just were fatigued. You know, that's basically you know what it boiled down to. But we feel pretty good about going into Tuesday's contest, though. I was going to say the other thing too is you get those six days off. That's got to be key for at least kind of licking the wounds, as it were. And as you point out, you play a lot of guys, or not a lot of guys, but you play them a lot of minutes. Um, do you do you have a strategy for those six days? Is there a certain amount of days you just flat out take off? Do you take it easier in practice? Yeah, we, we um, the first couple of days we sort of just you know 
did a lot of you know basic stuff, you know, just shooting, passing, and and got back in, into a, more of a, a rhythm, you know, in the weight room. You know, obviously playing all those games, one day on, one day off. So we, we were able to kind of get back into a rhythm that we were were on in the month of January, and uh, we were able to get some guys healthier as well. And then you know the last couple of days we've been able to go full throttle into practice. Um, you talk about your team not playing a lot of minutes or a lot of guys a lot of minutes, um, but you also have a semi-young team. You only have um, one senior or two seniors on this squad. The rest are juniors and a whole mess of sophomores. Um, so certainly building towards the future. But for these seniors and Sandy Burgess um, and others, you know, he's leading the team at 17.5 points a game. Um, he's handing out 2.5 assists a game, 3 rebounds a game. Certainly he's your your heart and soul of this squad, and I'm sure for him he wants to make sure he goes out on a high note this season. Correct. I mean, Sandy's been terrific for us for two years. Um, he, you know, he came over from Harkham Community College. And uh, for the past two years, I mean, he's been unbelievable scoring the ball for us. I mean, he scored a thousand points in two years, you know, shooting over 45 percent over those two-year spell. And so he's been having sent. Um, you know, we we thought we were getting a pretty good player, and uh, he's delivered on those goods. Uh, but we also have another you know, junior who, um, Tariq Bridgman, who's an outstanding player for us. And you know, I, I hope that both both guys have an opportunity to finish, you know, the first-team All-Conference uh, candidates. But Tariq Bridgman also gives us, you know, an inside-outside presence, you know, with his ability to score inside and also, um, you know, do some damage on the, on the perimeter as well. So we have you know, those two guys pretty much have been the heart and soul of our team this year. And then we have a, another junior, Brett Mensah, who's now in his third year starting, and he sort of does all the intangibles for us. So those three guys have pretty much, you know, carry the load. And then we have a foreigner, you know, by the name of Jack Concepcion, who's been a four-year starter for us and, and uh, a senior, and he, as well as Bright, do a lot of the dirty work for us. And those four guys have pretty much, you know, led us this year uh, with the top two guys just being offensive threats. Yeah, certainly. Uh, uh, Bridgman averaging 15.7 points a game. She also mentioned Bright Mensah, uh, 10.5 points a game. And then Jacques got 8.5 points a game, but all of them hauling rebounds. Bridgman hauling in 7.6. But you point out, I mean, there's only seven guys here who've played more than 20 games this season. You have a couple other guys like uh, Galen Smith, uh, Frederick Hogbarth, and uh, Nana Ansa who played 17 games. But you don't have a very deep bench, and sometimes that's by design. Is that a benefit when it comes this time of year and you're looking at the NCAA tournament, or do you, do you kind of hope you can maybe get a little deeper? Well, I mean, I, you know, going into the year, you know, I, I've, you know, we were disappointed that we didn't get in that large bid last year. Yeah. And, um, and we sort of focused in on, you know, sort of, you know, hey, this, this is your, your year and to our guys and especially guys like, you know, Jock and Sandy who had been with us for a couple of years and, and experienced, you know, some, some uh, success in the tournament, but not, you know, as much as we would like to. And last year we sort of kind of, had a little meeting at the end of the year and we wanted to have our guys, you know, focused, you know, for this year. So it was by design and we, we didn't want to go deep. We feel like our sophomore class is really good and uh, we're looking forward to their contribution in the future. But right now it's about the seniors and the juniors. You know, I was going to say the other thing is you might lose two good guys there in your seniors, but you do have this youth. I know last year was tough sitting at home and, and not making the NCAA tournament. Does that change your approach when it comes to to this conference tournament this time around? 
No, not really. I mean, like, you know, we approach, you know, all, every game the same way. You know, we, we want to be really good defensively. We want to get up and down the floor and, you know, somewhat entertaining. And we want to make shots, you know, like everyone else does. But, you know, we don't, you know, we prepare for our opponents you know, the, the same way. We, we we respect them all and we, you know, try to take away their, their strengths and, um, and try to, you know, exploit, you know, exploit some of their weaknesses. So now, there's no difference in preparation for this this season but we uh we do believe that um you know last year we could have gotten a bid you know and we're hoping that this year that we've done enough work that that we can get an at-large bid if things don't work out well next week sitting in the second uh spot in the regional rankings as of last week of course you have a much improved 557 strength of schedule this year um Obviously, it's a it's a newfangled Atlantic region this year with the freedom and the CSAC yeah. coming over. But Cabrini isn't bringing the same kind of uh, attention. But the skyline's improved and the Cuniac has improved. It's improved as an Atlantic region as a whole. Um, it's got to be nice to see that from your vantage point, especially if you can be sitting in second on top of it right now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're we're, we're very ecstatic to be where we're at right now. And but you know, like you said, you know, I think the MAC, you know. Mac brings some credibility to to our our region as well, and um, you know obviously Cabrini's success over the last couple of years, and you know they've got a bunch of teams that are really you know, improving um, immensely in that conference. So I believe our region is now going to sort of you know get a little bit more respect than it's had you know over the last couple of years, and hopefully you know also assist the, the better teams you know, when it comes to strength of schedule in the region. Um, do you have? Last year might give you the the reason not to, but do you have any confidence that if you get to that championship game and unfortunately can't win it, that you guys probably still make the tournament this year? Uh, do I have any confidence? Uh, no, no, um, no, absolutely <laughs> not. Um, you know, as I said, you know, we were you know we were very disappointed. You know, we thought we had done enough work last year, so you know we've told our guys that the only guarantee is if we win. So. You know, that's what we're going with. You know, we, we've done that from day one, and we'll continue to do that until the last game we play. I didn't think you did, but I just wanted to check just in case. Uh, <laughs> the the, op- the possibility. Of course, the real trick here is you're going to have to take on some, some teams that have had your number. You may have beaten New Jersey City twice this year, but they've been pretty good games, especially the last one, 62-59. You, you're most likely going to see Stockton unless they stumble, and they've beaten you twice this year. Do you change your game plans? Do you change your strategy? Uh, we have to. I mean, obviously, you know, when you're not successful at something, you know, you want to, you know, try to at least, you know, tweak the the reinvention of the wheel. But um, for us, you know, we're just going to concentrate on New Jersey City U. Um, you know, Mark does an unbelievable job with his guys. You know, his players play extremely hard and they're physical. You know, they're probably, you know, in the top five in offensive rebounding in the country. They turn you over with their pressure. So we're, we have to deal with them, you know, way before we have to worry about whose Friday opponent's going to be. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to join us. I'm certainly looking forward to seeing how you guys do the rest of the way. Obviously, big game, as you point out, on Tuesday against New Jersey City, and that one certainly is more priority than anything else. Uh, as always, we give the coach the final word. Any final thoughts you want to share with those who may be tuning in? No, absolutely not. We just want to obviously thank you for all the hard work you do for Division Three basketball. And, you know, obviously we, we appreciate the attention that you give us. Well, thank you, Coach. Appreciate it myself for com- for having you come on the show. Good luck the rest of the way, and we'll talk to you soon, I'm sure. Okay, thank you again. Yep, Jose Rabimba is joining us here on the Hoopsville Hotline. We appreciate him taking the time to join us again. Team 19-6 and six overall, they finished 13-5 and five in conference action. Unfortunately, a three-game slide 
at the end of the season wasn't what they had in mind, but Richard Stockton struggled as well. They're a game behind Stockton. That's how they finished. And they got that big game against New Jersey City coming up on Tuesday. Got a question via Twitter. I'll answer now before we get much further along. Uh, between coaches, he asks, uh, which means between my interviews, uh, who do you like for the Final Four in Salem? Uh, Flip, I'll tell you right now, I don't have a favorite. I've said this a lot over the last uh, few weeks and months um, with the way men's basketball has been going. I think you're going to get at least one dark horse, if not another. And I don't mean a dark horse in, its, in a sense like a, a Southern Virginia or or maybe it could be a Southern Virginia, but somebody who's just completely off the radar. Um, but I mean in the sense that you look at them and go, there's just no way they're going to get through that gauntlet. I think there's going to be four gauntlets to get to Salem. I don't think anybody's going to have an easy time of it. I don't. People can maybe make an argument if they want. People will make an argument if they want that getting through the Northeast or getting through a South or wherever they say they want to say was the toughest and, and that the Midwest or the Great Lakes or whatever was tougher. They're all going to be tough. It's going to be tough across the board. I just don't have a favorite right now. Um, my favorite's going to have to come when I look at the bracket and I figure out who might be there. Is Randolph-Macon playing some good basketball right now? Yeah, the number one team in the country is. But as I said on my blog, I'm not. I'm a little unsure if they can get to Salem uh, for the for the Final Four. I don't think you can write Whitewater in. I don't think you can write Stevens Point in. I don't think you can write Augustana in. Um, I, I don't think there's anybody in the Northeast who can just automatically say, yeah, they'll make it to Salem. Because I think some of the matchups this year are going to be so difficult and some of the matchups will be so perplexing. Um that it's it's not a sure bet as to who gets in and where. Um, I think you get one dark, dark horse, maybe two. Uh, I think all four teams will have survived to get there. We're not going to have one little area that's our bracket of death. It's going to be a tournament of death. It is going to be crazy this year. Uh, and so I hate to say it, Flip, love to answer your question, but I just don't have a favorite right now. I really, really do not have a favorite right now um, in terms of who gets to Salem. Uh, I mean, I could, if push came to shove, you know, maybe St. Thomas, but they're going to have to get through a gauntlet to get there. Uh, and especially not playing the first weekend on, uh, at home, even though they've deserved it. Um, you know, Marietta might be a pretty darn good team to get there, but they're going to have to get through some teams to get there themselves. Nobody in the mid Atlantic jumps out at me. Um, nobody in the Northeast, you know, maybe Babson, but we, we know the Northeast can beat themselves up a bit. I don't think there's anybody out of the East region, especially considering New York, University isn't going to make the tournament. Um, Emory looks good, but they, they're they beatable. Wash U is clearly beatable. Chicago's clearly beatable. Everybody's beatable. So I don't think there's a favorite. I think we're going to get some surprises in Salem. Um, 22-3, and three, but not ranked. That's interesting, but I guess uh, they're going to have to learn. Listen, team might be 22-3 and three and not ranked. That's not the most surprising thing in the world. Um, when you play in the conference like the NECC, which coaches might say, and we're talking about Southern Virginia or Vermont here, you might you might say that you know the NACC is improving, and I understand that, but it's still the NECC. Um, and, and I think a lot of people are trying to understand. I mean, the, that loss to Marymount has a lot of people perplexed. I don't think Marymount is as you know as good as you want to advertise that they are. They're good. They finished third in the CAC though. They were leading that conference. And they've suffered an injury that hurts them. Uh, I realize that's their only non-Division three loss. Um, their only Division three losses, I'd say, two non-Division three losses. But Virginia, you know, Vermont Tech isn't world beaters. And then you start looking at the rest of that non-out-of-conference schedule and you, a win over an overrated Williams squad. 
Yeah, I get 22-3 and three looks good, and they're not ranked, but I don't see anything that jumps out of me and tells me to rank them, to be honest. And when you are new to the table and, and you've never proven or never been in that situation, voters are going to be a little bit more leery. They're not just going to go, oh, yeah, you're 22-3. and three. Let me put you in my top 25. doesn't mean it might not happen this week. 16-0 and 0 in a conference is still 16-0 and 0 in a conference. I don't know. I just I, you could make an argument that Southern Virginia deserves to be ranked maybe in the twenty to twenty five slot, but I don't think it's a strong argument. It's a tough one for the voters to wrap their minds around. How about ladies' final four? Maybe easier to peg. Yeah, flip. <laughs> it is a lot easier to peg. I think Thomas Moore gets there from the women's side of things. Um, I really like a team out of the Northwest as long as they don't get there. But you know anybody from a from you know she's I would even say a Puget Sound is dangerous. Um, Certainly George Fox is going to be very tough to stop. Um, I don't think FDU Florham gets back there, believe it or not. I think they're going to take another loss in the tournament. Uh, I'm trying to think of this without looking at the top 25, which is not the easiest thing, so maybe I should go back and actually look at the top 25. Uh, Yeah, Thomas Moore, I think St. Thomas has a legitimate chance to get there. I think George Fox does as long as those three can stay away from each other. It may be hard to get George Fox and St. Thomas away from each other. I think Tufts has has got an interesting run for a Final Four. I think Calvin's going to have to go through Thomas Moore or St. Thomas to get there. Um, But don't count out Montclair State or DePaul. Don't count out Wash U, even though I think they're not as good as people think they are. Not not that they're still not good. They're still a top 25 team. NYU struggling still. Um, and then you might have some dark horses below that in Amherst, Hope, Scranton, Transylvania, Salisbury, etc. But, yeah, I think Thomas Moore, St. Thomas, George Fox are three who I think can get to the Final Four as long as they stay out of each other's way. Uh, we'll see if the, t- if the bracketing can allow that to happen. We'll see. Uh, no guarantees for sure. But uh, looking forward to seeing how it may play out. Uh, nonetheless, going to take another break. When we come back, we're going to preview the ODAC tournament, both men and women. Uh, the seating's finally in place now that the uh, tournament is, and now the regular season finished today. Uh, weather playing a factor there, and teams who played today will have to play tomorrow. That's the tough part. We're going to talk to Jeremy Franklin, and he's significant because we have him on the show thanks to a contribution to the Hoopsville fundraiser. We will try and tweet out a link here momentarily on how you can help us with the Hoopsville fundraiser. But uh, we want to thank those at First Team Broadcasting for giving us the chance or donating to our show and then saying we want to hear about the ODAC tournament. And so we will take them up on that. And coming up uh, shortly, we will talk to Jeremy Franklin uh, from Washington Lee and give us an idea of what he thinks of the ODAC tournament. You're listening to Hoops Hill presented by D3Hoops.com, the National Association of Basketball Coaches. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll talk ODAC basketball right here on Hoopsville. We've got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.D3Hoops.com. I know sports is important, but having the academic part along with it is a big plus. I've discovered in myself, you know, a, a newfound ability to overcome adversity at all different angles. At a Division three school, school is really shaped around you developing yourself as a complete individual. The end result, in my mind, is you just become a very well-rounded person. 
Before I came into college, I didn't really think I'd be able to balance so much. It helps a lot that you have a family with your team that can guide you. With a D3 school, there's a lot of time for other opportunities. The coaches expect a lot of you during soccer, but after soccer, that's your own personal time to really find out who you are and other opportunities that you can pursue. By balancing all of my interests, basketball, my leadership skills, and academics, I'm able to better prioritize my life and to manage it. College basketball lives in Kansas City at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. The College Basketball Experience is the place to get your game on. It's not a museum, it's an experience you won't forget. Discover the history of the game in the National Collegiate Basketball Hall of Fame, featuring the Gallery of Honor, Mentor's Circle, and Honor Theater. Suit up in the latest CBE logoed Nike gear at the CBE Hoop Shop. Elevate your game today and visit the house that College Basketball built. And welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody. Hope you're enjoying the show. If you got questions for us, tweet us at D3Hoopsville or hashtag Hoopsville. Email us, Hoopsville at D3Hoops.com, or join us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Hoopsville. I was kind of you know, getting a chuckle out of the, the Southern uh, Vermont comment at the 22-3 and three and not ranked, that being interesting. Let's not forget Princeton women's basketball is undefeated, and they're ranked 16th. Think about that for a second. Princeton women's basketball is undefeated in the country in Division One, and they're ranked 16th. Why? Sometimes it's not just about the records. It's about who you played and, and, and other things. So let's not just uh, assume that because you have a good record, you're automatically uh, ranked. You know, top 25 is, a, is, a, is like the top 3% in the country in Division Three. It's not easy to get into that club. Um, and you got to really prove yourselves. And sometimes proving yourselves is doing more than just having a gaudy record. Uh, if you got questions, again, at D3Hoopsville or hashtag Hoopsville, email us hoopsville at d3hoops.com. Or join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Hoopsville. One of the things we have going for another week or so is the Hoopsville Fundraising Project. Uh, we've raised about 60% of our goal this year uh, so far. Of course, that goal is about half, or that goal we have this year is half the goal we had last year. We went past that goal by a significant margin. So we really only raised about a third of what we raised last year. We hope you would consider. Uh, jumping uh, on board and helping us a little bit more. One of those who did that was Annie McEnroe and the first team broadcasting crew um, who said uh, who, who contributed enough money to pick a perk where they got to pick a guest. And they picked a good one. They wanted to talk about the uh, Old Dominion Athletic Conference tournament. And they wanted Jeremy Franklin from WLUR um, to come on and talk to us about it. Um, and, of course, he's from Washington and Lee, and he's one of the guys that if you know ODAC basketball, you've heard him call games probably. So, Jeremy, he joins us on the Hoopsville Hotline. Jeremy, thanks so much for joining us, sir. Thank you so much for having me, Dave. I appreciate it. First and foremost, give everybody a little bit of a background of who you are so they can understand where you're coming from. Sure. I, I'm a Washington and Lee alumnus. Uh, I graduated uh, from the university in 2004, and I've been a play-by-play -play announcer for the Generals for at least that long, I did several games when I was a student, and uh, I've also called the ODAC Women's Basketball Semifinals and Championships since 2007. Pretty, pretty solid, I would say. Um, you, you certainly called your plenty share of plenty of games in ODAC tournament action and in the regular season. Um, the men's side's always fun. The women's one's always interesting. Any of your first takes before we start diving in to what these two uh, tournaments? Any of your first thoughts on what we, uh, what you think you might see coming up at the Salem Civic Center? 
Well, it's obviously going to be another great weekend of basketball. Uh, I don't think there are too many Division Three tournaments that rival what the ODAC puts on at the Salem Civic Center. You've got 14 games in four days, and that doesn't include the first-round contest that you'll see at uh, host institutions for the men tomorrow night and for the women on Tuesday. But it's a special tournament. There have been uh, so many great finishes and great performances over the years. Um, yeah, definitely a lot of performances and surprises. And sometimes it's those first games at the Salem Civic Center that derail everybody. Everybody remembers Randolph-Macon wasn't even in the conversation uh, after I think it was Friday last week, last year um, and certainly weren't in the conversation for the automatic bid. Of course, they went undefeated this season or in first place. But there's just there's no telling who might come out with a championship uh, at Salem. That's very true. One of my favorite memories, uh, because it did happen on my birthday back in 2009, the number eight uh, Washington and Lee men's team knocked off number one Guilford in double overtime, and the Generals ended up making it to the championship that year and lost to number seven Virginia Wesleyan. So there are plenty of upsets along the way. That's uh, true on the women's side as well. Um, anything uh, before we dive into the numbers? Anybody, you got any dark horses on either of the tournaments right now? Uh, sure. Uh, I, it depends on how you uh, would uh, describe a dark horse. So on the men's side, I'm going to give you the number four seed, Eastern Mennonite. Uh, the Royals finished nine and seven in conference play, but they beat Virginia Wesleyan, the only team outside of Randolph Bacon to do that. They play the Yellow Jackets to within three pretty late in the regular season. So uh, I like Kirby Dean's team. They've got a rebounding machine inside and David Falk. Some uh, excellent wing players like Ryan Yates and Marshall Crump, and a senior point guard who runs the show, and James Williams. So if it's not one of the top couple of seeds, I, I would watch for Easter Midnight on the men's side to be able to make a, a deep run, maybe even claim a championship. On the women's side, uh, I've got the number four seed as well, uh, Virginia Wesleyan, a senior-laden team. Uh, Stephanie Dunmire can put five seniors on the floor, and that's the regular starting lineup for the Marlins. Got one of the best all-around guards in the conference in Brittany Glasgow. And uh, Coach Dunmire has been to the ODAC championship game four times, so she knows what it takes to get things done uh, at the Salem Civic Center. Um, so let's let's talk. We'll start on the on the uh, women's side first and foremost. Should point out there are games played today um, that the, then the men are having to play tomorrow in conference tournament action. Um, that's got to be brutal. Can you imagine being in that scenario? It's tough. There was one men's game today. It was a late afternoon contest. Roanoke had to go to Easter Midnight. The Royals won that game. Uh, Easter Midnight does not have to play tomorrow because of their win. They got a bye, so they go straight to the quarterfinals. But Pace Moyer's Roanoke team has to turn around and come to Lexington tomorrow to take on Washington and Lee in the 7-10 matchup. So that's very tough. Uh, it was a weather thing. Uh, we got a ton of snow in this part of Virginia here in Lexington, about 16 or 18 inches. Uh, so you end up with four women's games today. They at least do have a day off before the first round on Tuesday. Yeah, at least they get the the day off is exactly right. Uh, all right, so let's let's take a look at these tournaments first and foremost uh, on the men's side since it will start first. No surprise, Randolph making first undefeated season for them in conference action in history. And of course, I think the first one since 2001 when Hampton Sydney did it. Uh, Virginia Wesleyan will be two, Guilford three, Eastern Mennonite four, with Lynchburg, Hampton, Sydney, Randolph, or uh, Washington, Lee, Randolph uh, being uh, four, five through eight, then Bridgewater, Roanoke, Emory, Henry, and Shenandoah. Of course, top four get buys, and everybody else will play. Um, those other four, the games will be Bridgewater at Randolph, Shenandoah at Lynchburg, Roanoke at Washington, Lee, Emory, and Henry at Hampton, Sydney. First off, do you see any upsets coming up here on Monday before we get to games on Thursday? I think the 7-10 and the 8-9 game should be very, very competitive. Uh, Washington and Lee in that 7-10 game did beat Roanoke twice in the regular season. They got them in Salem. 
last uh, Wednesday, but uh, they were close competitive games. That's a longstanding rivalry. Uh, I think the biggest question uh, is do the Maroons still have legs after having to go to Eastern Midnight today? And uh, Randolph and Bridgewater only played once uh, in the regular season. The Wildcats won that game at Bridgewater, but uh, that should be a competitive contest and not necessarily the easiest matchup for Randolph-Macon in the quarterfinals. Uh, Bridgewater lost to the Yellow Jackets by three in a regular season game, and the Wildcats were right in there with Nathan Davis' team as well. I was going to say, those were close games uh, earlier on. Of course, that will be the first game on Thursday, and then they'll follow with Eastern Mennonite as the four seed. They will take on uh, the winner of Shenandoah or Lynchburg, and then Virginia Westing will take on the winner of Roanoke and Washington Lee, and Guilford will play on Emory. Emory and Henry or Hamden-Sydney. One thing that jumps out at me is Hamden-Sydney as that sixth seed. Uh, tough luck for them. They had such a great start to the season. Got in the conference action, took a couple bad losses, and then that illness went through campus. And I think that had a longer residual effect than many people would would uh, would have expected. Of course, this is a Hampton-Sydney squad who last year was playing in the championship game kind of as one of those dark horses. Sure, and I saw the Tigers uh, right before their campus closed uh, because of that illness. They came to Washington and Lee, and I remember, not to take anything away from the Generals getting a win against Hampton City, but I remember thinking how lethargic they looked in that ballgame. So I, I think you're right. That did have uh, a longer impact on Hampton City than, uh, than you might have expected. Uh, I would expect them to beat Emory and Henry at home in the first round, and they beat Guilford in overtime uh, just a couple of weeks ago. So uh, it, it would not surprise me to see the Tigers, if they're healthy, if they're firing on all cylinders, to, to make a deep run this week. Um, can Randolph make it actually win this conference tournament, or is this conference tournament so crazy that it's going to be somebody else besides the Yellow Jackets? Well, randolph Macon certainly can win it. They, they haven't lost to an ODAC team all season, uh, but something in me says that they won't win it. That, that, and not to take anything away from the Yellow Jackets, they're obviously a great basketball team, number one in the country, so balanced right now. Their leading scorer, Dave, is 18th in the conference in mm-hmm. points per game, which is just incredible. So they're a great defensive team. Uh, they've got a terrific senior point guard in Marcus Badger. They've got plenty of size on the inside. Uh, but, you know, they're, they're going to be an NCAA tournament team. You wonder how much this tournament would impact their seeding. You've got a really good Virginia Wesleyan team on the other side of the bracket. I mentioned Easter Midnight as a potential dark horse, uh, if a number four seed is really a dark horse. But that would be uh, a semifinal matchup if either team makes it that far. So, yes, Randolph-Macon can win the tournament. They obviously are the favorite because they went 6-0 against the conference in the regular season. Um, but I would not be surprised at all if it's a different team that's hoisting the trophy on Sunday. Let's jump to the other side, the women's side. We'll start up on Tuesday. Uh, your top seed is Eastern Mennonite um, for the third straight season. Randolph-Macon, two. Lynchburg, three. Virginia Wesleyan, four. All four of those teams will get first-round buys. Then it's Guilford, Washington, Lee, Emory and & Henry, and Bridgewater who will host games against Shenandoah, Randolph-Macon, Roanoke, and Hollins. Not in that particular order, as it will be Shenandoah at Bridgewater, Hollins at Guilford, Randolph-Macon at Emory & Henry, Roanoke at Washington and Lee coming up on Tuesday. Anything that jumps out of you about those first-round games? I think the the 6-11 matchup for Washington and Lee and Roanoke will be very interesting. Uh, The Generals beat the Maroons twice in the regular season, but the second time they had to come from 16 points down, hit a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game at the end of the second half and win it overtime. And uh, you've got the second-leading score in the ODAC on the other side for the Maroons and Gary Beam. Eight-nine matchups are always great. Bridgewater, Shenandoah, 
Uh, but there was a three-game difference between the Eagles at 7-7 seven and seven and then the Hornets who finished in that tie for uh, for ninth place at 4-12, uh, and 12, despite a nice win over uh, Washington and Lee and Winchester earlier this afternoon. So Eastern Mennonite will take on the winners of Shenandoah-Bridgewater uh, in the first game at the Salem Civic Center on Friday. Uh, then it will be Virginia Wesleyan taking on Guilford or Hollins, Randolph-Macon taking on Emory and Henry or Randolph, and then Lynchburg against Roanoke and Washington and Lee. Um, you know, Eastern Mennonite, again, did not if, not, if memory serves, did they win the conference championship last year? Um, they did not. They, they as did you not. Mentioned, they've, been, yeah, I mean, they've been the number one seed the last couple of years. In fact, they finished first or tied for first four straight seasons, but they've yet to win a conference tournament title. So I know that is way up on the list for Kevin Griffin and the Royals to follow through on that regular season championship with the conference tournament crown. They've made NCAA tournament appearances in recent years, but it's been as an at-large bid, not with the AQ. Um, do you think they got the, the ability? I know it's high on their list, but the, can they get through this gauntlet that is uh, going to be three straight games at the Salem Civic Center, or are we going to get somebody like a Randolph-Macon, Virginia Wesleyan, Lynchburg, or even a darker horse to come through? I think Eastern Mennonite, uh, they certainly have uh, what it takes to, to win three games in three days. Jess Reinheimer has had an amazing junior season. She scored in double figures in all but one of the Royals games this year. And the one game she didn't score double figures in was a 64-point win over Mary Baldwin, so they didn't really need her to put up the points. Shakira Sykes has, I think, 13 double-doubles uh, on the season. And they've got uh, some nice supporting players as well. But you mentioned some of the other teams. Uh, Randolph-Macon is the defending conference champion. They've got uh, two uh, superstars uh, who've been around for a long time, Sarah Parsons and Katie Anderson. And then the emergence of Hannah Liverman this year is their leading scorer. She's basically doubled her point production in 2014-15. And then down at the three seed, you've got the preseason pick to win the conference, according to the coaches, Paul Lynchburg, uh, led by one of the best players I've seen in ODAC history in Shannon Allen. Very nice, sir. I appreciate that breakdown. I do have one curveball to throw at you. Most likely Randolph Macon and Virginia Wesley will make the NCAA tournament, though certainly don't want to put Virginia Wesley and don't want to put them necessarily on, a, on an early loss because that could certainly hurt them. But outside of an, of an automatic bid, I don't know necessarily if another team can come out of there. And on the women's side, it looks like it's the Eastern Mennonite um, who need you know who can get the at-large potentially, but everybody else has to win the AQ. Or are you seeing something different? You would have a much better grasp on, on tournament potential and regional rankings and strength of schedule than I. I, I will say that, that certainly on the men's side, Randolph, Macon, and Virginia Wesley and their tournament-caliber teams, uh, Eastern Midnight, Randolph, Macon, and Lynchburg on the women's side, although the Hornets' uh, resume, uh, I think seven losses overall, would make it tough for them to get in. Well, it certainly it's going to be fun to watch. What's your favorite memory of uh, tournament action at Salem Civic Center? Boy, there there have been so many great ones. Uh, I go back to one of my first memories of the ODAC tournament. I was still a student. Uh, it wasn't even a game that I covered, but uh, the men's championship used to be on a Monday night, and uh, Randolph, Macon, and Hampton, Sydney, it's been the 2002-03 season uh, locked in a big ODAC race. Each was number one in the country at one point during the season, and they played in the conference championship. Jared Mills won on a tip-in. It was actually Hampton Sydney, though, that went further in the NCAA field that year. They made it back to Salem uh, in the Final Four. Uh, personally, I, I mentioned the, the men's basketball team's run to the ODAC championship game in 2009 on the Washington and Lee side, which they did as the number eight seed, and then I got to call the uh, Washington and Lee women's first-ever ODAC championship the next year in 2010. Well, it certainly has been fun. I get, we remember uh, Hoopsville um, 
was on the road last year at the uh, at the Odak tournament. We certainly had a blast last year, and looking forward to watching the games. Yet a game. What, what will you be calling for us, sir? I will have every Washington and Lee game, of course, uh, starting tomorrow night with uh, men's basketball against Roanoke in the first round, and then the Generals and the Maroons play in the first round of the women's tournament Tuesday. And then I'll be teaming up uh, with uh, my good friend, the Holland Sports Information Director, Richie Wagner, for the women's semifinals and championship again this weekend. Well, we're looking forward to forward to it, to be sure. Thanks so much for coming on the show. We appreciate it. Uh, as always, though, we give you the final thought, the guests always, the final, final thoughts you want to share that, with those who may be tuning in. Well, I'll repeat the common refrain because it's well-deserved praise, but thank you, Dave, for all that you do for Division Three basketball. And I'll echo what I said uh, earlier in our segment. Uh, if you are within driving distance of Salem, Virginia, and you can get down for part or all of the great weekend of basketball that's uh, coming up at the Salem Civic Center, do it. It's a fun tournament. It's uh, such a great event. And, of course, it's uh, on one of the biggest stages in Division Three with the men's Final Four coming back to Salem a few weeks later. You're absolutely right. Well said, sir. Thank you very much, and uh, have fun this week. All right. Thank you, Dave. Take care. Jeremy Franklin joining us. General Manager, WLUR, former or is a graduate of Washington and Lee. He is right. If you get a chance to go to the Salem Civic Center for the Final Four, that's one thing. But going there to see four games on Thursday, four games on Friday, two games on Saturday, or four games on Saturday, and two games on Sunday for the ODAC Championship is worth it. We were down there for Thursday and Friday last year. Certainly was a good time, and we certainly encourage you to take a trip as well if you get the opportunity. Uh, thank you, Jeremy Franklin. Of course, thank you also again, First Team Broadcasting, for your donation to get Jeremy on the show. If you want to donate to us, we have sent out a, a, a link on Twitter. We'll send out some more throughout the show. Again, we're trying to get to our goal, which was half of our goal last year. So, honestly, we'd love to go right past our goal and keep on raising. If you remember, we told Rich Reed from Laverne a couple weeks ago on the Hoops Hill Marathon that if we raised $7,500, we would carve out some money to go see the Skyac uh, in action in Southern California next year. If we raise even more money, we'll carve out money to go somewhere else. Um, we will figure that out. So the you know that the money helps us cover expenses. It helps us cover Division Three the way it deserves to be covered. It helps us upgrade our equipment where it needs to be upgraded or replace equipment. Uh, we still have equipment that is on hand right now that needs to be replaced, and we haven't been able to afford it. So whatever you do to help us just helps you in the long run because it's like NPR. What we can do to improve our broadcast will only help you enjoy art broadcasts as well. So when I say Hoops Hoops presented by D3Hoops.com and the National Association of Basketball Coaches, we should also add it's also presented by you, those who are so kind to donate. We're going to take another break. When we come back, we are going to go stay in the South and talk women's basketball with Millsaps. Their head coach, Chuck Winkleman, will join us. Also up ahead, Aurora or Caltech women's basketball and Aurora men's basketball. That's all coming up on the show. And the final segment, we will answer your questions. We'll be going past 930 tonight, so please stay tuned. we got lots to cover. You're listening to Hoops Hope, presented by D3Hoops.com, the National Association of Basketball Coaches, and from donations like from you. Follow us on Twitter. Ask us questions at D3Hoopsville or hashtag Hoopsville. Email questions to us, Hoopsville at D3Hoops.com, or join us on Facebook at Facebook.com. When we come back, Millsaps Women's Basketball, right here on Hoopsville. Every season starts with hope and a dream to play for the ultimate title, to become NCAA National Champions. And you can experience it live at the 2015 NCAA Division III Men's Basketball Championship, March 20th and 21st in Salem, Virginia, hosted by the Old Dominion Athletic Conference and the City of Salem. Affordable tickets now available. Visit NCAA.com slash tickets today and make a date with champions.
I did receive a non-athletic scholarship upon entering uh, school. I got the presidential scholarship, which was huge for me. I think there's more opportunities for academic scholarships in Division Three. I did receive academic scholarships. Just being involved on campus, being a leader, all those things combined kind of get me recognized. It's a great experience for me. College basketball lives in Kansas City at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. The College Basketball Experience is the place to get your game on. It's not a museum, it's an experience you won't forget. Discover the history of the game in the National Collegiate Basketball Hall of Fame, featuring the Gallery of Honor, Mentor's Circle, and Honor Theater. Suit up in the latest CBE logoed Nike gear at the CBE Hoop Shop. Elevate your game today and visit the house that College Basketball built. Welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody. Hope you're enjoying the show on this Sunday, February 22nd. Of course, we have one week until we'll be talking plenty about who's in and who's out of the NCAA tournaments, and uh, that means special coverage next Sunday. Stick with us on Twitter and Facebook to find out when we will be doing those shows and how they'll be broken up. Uh, you can join us on Twitter at D3Hoopsville or using the hashtag Hoopsville. Uh, you can join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash hoopsville. Of course, email us hoopsville at d3hoops.com. You can also use those avenues to ask us questions if you have them, whether we're on the air or off the air. Uh, also, don't forget about our Hoopsville fundraising project. We've been tweeting that throughout the show as well. Um, we're trying to raise before the show started. We were about 60% of to our goal. Of course, our goal was half as much as what our goal was last year. So we're really, and we went past that goal last year. So we're really about a third of the way to the to the uh, to the what we raised last year so we're certainly looking for additional help if you so uh, have it or do not mind uh, we we're just talking uh, South region ODAC tournament uh, preview with our friend from Washington Lee uh, Jeremy Franklin we want to stay in the South region and slide a little bit more west and talk um, about one of those teams that is certainly having a terrific season themselves, and that is the Millsap Majors, 20-5 and five overall, 12-2 in SAA. They will host the SAA tournament coming up next week, so that means we should talk to their head coach, don't you think? So Chuck Wickelman joins us on the Hoopsville Hotline. Coach, welcome to Hoopsville. Thanks, Dave. Thank you for having us. Absolutely appreciate you taking the time to join us. We should mention we're pre-taping this as you just got done playing Rhodes. Um, and, of course, uh, on the road, uh, as our timing is so perfect, got the big win, 58-56. you got to appreciate the fact you, you, you at least keep the momentum running, even though you pretty much walked away with the conference regular season title. Yes, and, and uh, I'm glad you mentioned the pre-taping. Because <laughs> about 35 minutes ago or so, I was in the locker room with a bunch of young women who uh, somehow find a way to pull one out. I'm at Rhodes, which is never easy to do. So um, I appreciate that, and uh, hopefully I've had a time to cool down here and, and uh, be able to visit appropriately with you. Yeah, big win over Rhodes, 58-56. Of course, this is a season where uh, I mean, Rhodes last year certainly was the 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 toast of the of the conference, as it were. You guys have a four game or a five game lead on them. Um, Barry had uh, behind you by three games. Pretty much walked away with this conference um, this season. This was a conference that that Rhodes won by three games last year. So it's got to feel good to at least be on top of the SAA this season. It is, but I'm, I'm going to clarify. Nobody walked away from anything. I want <laughs> you to know that I have tremendous respect 
uh, for the coaches in this conference. I think it's an undervalued league. Uh, we've been to North Central this year and played in the double overtime game up there with, I think, the team that's in second behind Wheaton in the CCIW, one of the all-time greatest Division Three leagues. And we had a bad half in the first half at DePaul. And I think we all recognize and have great admiration for Chris Huffman. Um, but we went and battled there. And, and, and uh, Stout is in the Wisconsin League. And, and uh, all those games every day in that league are, you know, you got to show up and play. Um, so I, I think having been to those places and played those types of teams and uh, really worked hard to find a way to, you know, compete every night in this league, having been to those places, this is probably the most undervalued conference in Division Three women's basketball, bar none. Well, what's interesting uh, is, uh, back to the quickly the Rhodes game, overtime victory, what's interesting is your losses are, are somewhat uh, um, noteworthy, really, to be honest. You lost the first game of the season to Eastern Texas Baptist, then got back on the, uh, in the winning ways against uh, North, uh, at North Central against Trinity International, non-Division three. But you lost North Central. Of course, they play the system, so you lose 117-115, to 115, so you're right in the battle with that one. And you lost it to DePaul, 66-44, and certainly you don't want to you – know, there's nothing bad about losing to a very good DePaul Tigers squad. I think the only sure. thing that, that jumps out at me is the back-to-back losses to Oglethorpe and Barry. Of course, those two games on the road, but they weren't close. But it, it, outside of that, you've had long winning streaks. You've been playing solid basketball. Uh, you can put up 115 points as much as you can put up 40. Um, so yeah. it seems like you got the game, at Bar- the game at Bar- The game at Barry was close. Uh, but the game at Oglethorpe on that Friday night is an indication of regardless of who you are, you better show up in our league and play, and yeah. we didn't do that. So our young ladies enjoyed watching the second half from a real up-close, you know, courtside seat. Um, <laughs> and I think we learned I think we learned a valuable lesson. Um, you know, some called that a Popovich move. I don't know. That was just a move I felt like we needed at that time, and I think we got their attention. But, um, Dave, I, I'm just really humbled. I'm real humbled by what we've done. We lost uh, about eight, ten games ago. We lost one of the best point guards in the nation in Sam Perez. She was one of the top two assist turnover ratio kids last year in the nation. Um, lost her to a knee injury. She may come back for the tournament. So we've done this a man down. Uh, and that's a first, second team all conference player. Um, that was, that's, that makes us even more special. Um, because of the quality of teams and the coaches in this league to do this and to kind of just rally together, uh, it's amazing. I could go on and on and on about the different kids who have stepped up when we've needed them to, to, you know, to win this thing. Well, you have a relatively young team. Um, you know, you only have uh, two seniors on the squad, one of them being Samantha Perez. Um, and you're led by a senior in Velvet Johnson, by the way, terrific name. Uh, 15 and a yes. half points a game. Uh, she's hauling in uh, three rebounds a game, handing out three assists a game. Um, you know, so there's your two seniors, and then you have uh, is it Maya Brooks? Um, M- Maya Brooks. Maya yes, Brooks, sir. a junior, 11 points a game. Kayla Freeman, a sophomore, 10 points a game. Beverly Holmes, a junior, nine points a game. Uh, Brooks is hauling in a double-double with 10 rebounds, and Freeman's hauling in 6.2 rebounds as well. So while you have these seniors, Coach, you've got a lot of youth to this team that's gaining a lot of experience this season. 
They are, but how much time you got to talk about Velvet and Sam? You, as much as you want to talk we, about them, Coach. Well, we we I can't I can't uh, gobble up all the time from everyone else, but I mean, uh, yeah, we only have a couple seniors, but it was really those two along with an, another senior who doesn't play much, and Brittany Earl. These three young women, Velvet and Sam especially, uh, they changed the culture, Dave. They've, they've, they've been the kids that have changed the culture when we got there, and it was a 1-24 in situation, not that the winning and losing is the most important thing, but, um, you know, if you go back and look at yeah. the history for almost 20 years, you know, people were marking that as a W. Um, and I think now these, these are the kids that have really um, they've changed the culture. They bought in, and we work extremely hard, and, and I am blessed to be around some of the finest young women um, anybody could coach. Well, you point out that one in 24 season back in 2009-10. The next year, 12 and 13. The following year, 22 and 6. And then 18, 10, 17 and 9. Now 20 and 5. That one in 24 season seems like a really distant memory. Yes, it is on campus. I mean, we got some of, we have got a great environment. We, we are, our women's games are extremely well attended. The support on our campus um, from everyone, from A to Z, it's, it makes for a really fun atmosphere, and, and the kids uh, really appreciate all of it. Um, and we just try to walk humbly every day and, and uh, give great effort to a game that we really, really love. Um, again, 20-5, and five, you'll host the, uh, the uh, SAA tournament next weekend. Do you know who your first uh, opponent will be? I guess it might be Birmingham Southern. I guess uh, Coach Dean from Rhodes uh, said something earlier here before, and uh, I believe it'll be Birmingham Southern uh, on Friday at our place. So, again, everybody in this league that has played each other, we all know um, it's a clean slate, and yeah. um, we're thankful to be at home, but we gotta we got to still take care of business. I was going to say, that's the big key here is you, you want to win that automatic qualifier so you don't have to be – dealing with a conversation of whether there's at-larges or not, and certainly there's a lot at stake in, in many ways, shapes, and forms. Um, how important is it to win the at-large, especially considering uh, in the South region right now, uh, you guys aren't even being regionally ranked? Yeah, and there's several people in the, in the region that, you know, what's sad, and you know this, you guys do such a wonderful job um, with the side and the following, uh, you know, that early season loss of these Texas Baptists, you know, maybe I should have thought a little bit differently about where I go on the road and play because, you know, that that's a team that, you know, you got to show up and then they got us early, um, you know. So that, that hurt, that loss has killed us all year. I mean, that's, that's a loss that everybody pulls up when they're fighting for, to rank their teams that they represent. I'm sure that's a common opponent loss that comes up and really hurts us. That's part of the system that I don't like. Um, and I'm not a big fan anymore of conference tournaments, um, especially in leagues like this where the travel is just unbelievable. And for us to do what we do, um, the way our tournament's set up, there's just not enough of a reward. And now I know why Coach Huffman, when she was in the SCAC with us, would always propose to drop this tournament. Now I know why. Because um, I, I just don't think there's enough reward. These kids are a quality uh, national tournament team, and yet we still got something. We still, you know, we got to do something else now. We got to win a tournament three games in three days. And that third day, um, you know how that can be. Um, kids are just fighting it, 
and you got to find a way because the legs certainly won't be there. Um, when you look, I was going to say three days in a row certainly is the other side of that thing. So everybody's playing in this tournament. Um, there's almost an element of maybe, you know, you cut it off. There's a lot of conferences who don't play everybody, whether you get rid of the tournament or not, but you at least cut back on how many yeah. teams no, those play. Are the tournaments that do it the right way. We, I really believe that we should have a six team tournament, one and two by seven and eight, you know, I, you know, as hard as they've worked and, and stuff, I still think at some point we have to make some choices and try to reward, you know, the team's at the top or near the top with a little bit more of an advantage going into tournaments like that. Um, so that body of work really means more than it, uh, like you'd like it to be. Um, talking to uh, Chuck Winkleman here, head coach for Millsaps Majors, the women's basketball team, 20-5 and five overall, 12-2 and two in conference action. Coach, how much does it also hurt you go to North Central to play a tournament and you play a non-Division three in the first game, and then on top of the fact that you yeah. already had Pensacola Christian scheduled as a yeah. non-Division three team uh, in there as well? Sure, you're exactly right. And we look where we're located. Yeah. You know, where we're located, you know, we got to go a long way sometimes. Yeah. You know, we play Rust twice a year. But, you know, so that that just complicates all those formulas that we use. Um, you know, I respect all that. But at the same time, it, it puts us in some tough situations because, yeah, one more Division three win. I mean, why didn't I play Rust a third time? I should have probably. You know, if we, we get out there and do what we can and get another win, that win against them helps us more than play in Trinity International, just based on, you know, the system that we, we have in place. Uh, quickly off top, not off topic, but sideways, per the, what we're talking about, how much are you able to travel? I mean, you're able to go to North Central. I obviously see that, and you're able to get into some Texas. You went up to DePaul. Have you looked at, at other options, shamelessly, I'll say the D3 Hoops Classic in Vegas or elsewhere where you know you're going to get some decent competition? Yeah, when we need to, we need to do continue to do that. That's why we went where we went, mm -hmm. and something happened at North Central where, where Coach had to have a non-D3 in there. So, no, but then you look at the league we're in, you know, how much travel can we afford? Right. How much can these kids handle in terms of keeping up with their studies? Because the league's so expansive to begin with, uh, we travel, we travel enough. It's not like you know up in Wisconsin or the MEAC in Minnesota where we're playing and going home and sleeping in our own bed. Um, you know, you've heard that before. So mm -hmm. it's it's a bit of a challenge to have a little bit of balance in your in your schedule. But um, you know, we we do the best we can. Certainly, you've had a lot of success in Division Three. You're in the top forty of active winningest coaches in the division. Uh, of course, you're from Minnesota, as you point out, went to Hamlin, um, and, um, and and so on. You've been around. You've certainly seen it all. Um, how, how I mean, obviously, how challenging is the SAA is kind of a loaded question or, or really easy. I know what the kind of answer I'm going to get. But when the Rhodes has such a great season last year, now you're having this great a season this year. We've seen some good uh, seasons out of some of these other teams. Barry has jumped up into the conversation as well. How difficult or how even maybe is the SAA? I think from top to bottom, it's one of the most competitive. But even back in the SCAC, um, you know, in the late 90s and early 2000s, when Paul was in the league with us in Colorado College and, and Trinity, um, the play there, and Richard Barron was at Swanee, now he's Division One coach at Maine, the quality of play, 
got so good in the SCAC, which included a lot of really strong academic schools in the South, well, I really think the competition within that league, it pushed and pushed and pushed the play to a point where Trinity won a national championship, and a few years later, Coach Huffman won her first Mm -hmm. um, at DePaul. And I really think there were teams in that league um, that were working really hard and were really talented that pushed those teams during the regular season to get them tournament ready to be able to accomplish that. Now, we haven't been able to push through here lately. Oglethorpe had a couple Final Four teams Yep. Um, when Ron Settle was there. So there's history there. And then Rhodes and Center recently. Yeah. Uh, Center was a quality Sweet 16 team. Uh, Matt, you know, pushed, I think, WashU last year mm-hmm. to within a point of going back to the Sweet 16. So I don't know. I, I You know, I'm biased, obviously. Um, but uh, I grew up, you know, going to the Rat Pack at St. John's, and I've been to St. Thomas and played football and basketball, you know, at those places. I know the quality of play. I've seen Whitewater play this year on the men's side. So, um, you know, I think sometimes we just uh, I feel like we, we we're out here and, and playing some really, really good basketball. Maybe we get better as the year goes on, but when you struggle early or suffer a, a loss early, and it seems to really punish you. Um, but I don't, I don't have the answers to make that better. we we got to win the AQ. Sure. We want to get in. Conference has an AQ. Let's take care of business. And, and then we have a chance to, you know, find out how good we really are. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show and talking about your team. The majors, you know, the purple and white, uh, certainly playing well right now with a big win on the road against uh, Rhodes, as we pointed out, of course, completing the weekend of wins over Hendricks and roads this weekend and head in and at least you get to sleep in your own bed this week and, and don't have to travel this upcoming weekend um but if you had one key that's going to be that's going to be important um uh, with this weekend tournament coming up to get the aq what's that key going to be what's the key you're telling your team man the key all the way you nailed it uh mental toughness is simply the ability to play present mental toughness is simply the ability to play present if we'll do that, that's the key. Got to have a winner's mentality, and we can't. We got to fight through adversity. We got to get to the next play, um, and we can't get ahead of ourselves. But I think if we will, you know, demonstrate that and have the ability to play present, it's a great life lesson. If we do that, um, I like our chances. Well, I certainly look forward to seeing how the majors do next weekend. Certainly, would love to see you guys in the NCAA tournament as well we always give the coach the final word any final thoughts you want to share with those who may be tuning in yeah i'm just really i'm I'm really humbled and grateful for the opportunity to be the head women's basketball coach at Millsaps. it's a great institution um just wonderful people there and i i coach some of the best kids uh anywhere you can't find better so i'm just i'm really actually very humble dave um and i'll say this too uh, I've got the great co- greatest coach's wife in America. Uh, I, it's, it's, uh, I'm really blessed and very, very thankful. So that's my final word. Very good. Well, congratulations to you and your team. Congratulations to your wife as well. Good luck the rest of this, uh, of this week, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing how in a week's time. Looking forward to hopefully talking about Millsaps in the tournament as well. All right, thank you. Absolutely. Chuck Wiggleman joining us here on Hoopsville. Of course, as we mentioned, 20-5 and five overall, 12-2 and two in conference action. Team is uh, at home the rest of the, of the regular season as they will host the SAA tournament. 
Um, game times start on Friday. They'll play Friday, Saturday, Sunday with an AQ up at stake in the SAA. We're going to come back. We'll continue women's basketball action and head out to Southern California and talk Caltech women's basketball. Beavers are making some headlines as well. We'll talk to them coming up here shortly. You're listening to Hoops Hope presented by D3Hoops.com and the National Association of Basketball Coaches. If you have questions for us, tweet us at D3Hoops or hashtag Hoopsville. Email us, Hoopsville at D3Hoops.com or join us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Hoopsville. More Hoopsville right after this. We've got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. I used to never really talk. Ever. I was scared and shy. It was hard to look at people's faces. I was afraid if I said something wrong, everyone would laugh at me. But then I started to play golf with Special Olympics. I made friends and won lots of gold medals. But I learned more than just playing golf. Special Olympics helped me to find my voice. And now everyone else is speechless. Welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody. Hope you're enjoying the show. Just got done talking women's basketball down in the south and Millsaps. And now we're going to go out and talk to uh, another team out in Southern California, though not in the midst of the Oscar glory. They certainly have their own glory. We talked about them at the beginning of the show, the Caltech women's basketball team winning their first game in 64 years. And, of course, winning our Skyac game, first Skyac game in 64 years. And, of course, uh, back-to-back games as well. That ends a five-year drought in that department in conference action. And so now we are joined by Sandra Marbut, the head coach for Caltech. We appreciate her taking the time out of her way. Coach, I know it's a big thing for you guys. It's certainly big for basketball. But two wins back-to-back for the first time. First off, ending a 64-game losing streak in the conference to start with, but also getting back-to-back wins for the first time in five years. Uh, The men had already created a buzz. I suspect on Caltech it has taken on a whole other degree. It has. We had a great turnout um, at our game last night, and uh, it's always not surprising. It's always so satisfying to see our students come out because they're a little discriminating. It's <laughs> physics set or basketball game, physics set or basketball game. So it's great to to have the gym full of full of folks and see lots of support for our team, um, and lots of support dis- despite a season where it took us a while to to get some traction beneath us. Yeah. So. Uh, it was a good. It was a good night all the way around. Yeah, big wins over Laverne back on uh, what was that Wednesday and then a, or Tuesday and then a win over Occidental uh, to follow that up. And of course, the, uh, both of those being home games, the men had already kind of created a little bit of a home advantage with their wins, and now you're following right up on those heels. 
Um, the men couldn't beat Occidental, but you guys got the win. So at least you know that maybe coming into uh, Caltech territory does not necessarily mean you're going to get a sweep. Yeah, I think that you very much have got it there. Um, that has not always been the history in our program. I I know when I started back in 2003, it was pretty much a foregone conclusion for other teams that you know they had they had virtually won the game before they got on the bus, and and we've been making you know some real great strides and working really hard over that time period to to change that. And today. It's a, it's a tough place to come and play. You know that our kids are, are going to be ready to go, and they're going to play hard. One thing we get a ton of compliments and a ton of comments on, um, every coach we play talks about how hard we play right up to the end, regardless of what's on the scoreboard. So you know our kids are going to come ready to do that, and we've got uh, lots of lots of people in, in the stands, and just the layout of our facility puts it uh, – puts a little bit of uh, volume in the gym and uh, makes it a great atmosphere to play in. So we were, we were very happy with the support we got from the campus community. We had the president um, there. We had uh, all, I, I think, most of the vice presidents. There, there, there were a lot of who's who on, on the Caltech campus in those stands cheering us on and, and making sure that the ladies had the support they needed. I think that's the most important part of this, Coach. It seems that, you know, while you get the student students on campus maybe creating a little bit of buzz, the administration is starting to take notice. And a lot of that has changed. You know, new athletics directors tried to change the mentality. Of course, the new coaching staffs that come in have been trying to change the mentality. But if you're getting the president and vice presidents showing up to games because they want to take the time to recognize these student athletes for what they're doing, you've almost already won. Yeah, it has been a, a purposeful effort. Uh, Dr. Jean-Louis Chimot, who left us, I think, two years ago now, uh, really got that ball started when he came onto campus saying, you know, hey, we don't, we don't need to be the lovable loser. Um, we can do better than that. Um, and it may take us a, a while to, to get to a place where every night we compete, but that's the direction we want to move in. Being smart and being athletic don't have to be exclusive of each other. And being a world-class campus, you want to attract the best students. So often some of the best students are ones who have other things that they value as well. Sports um, is absolutely one of them. So we started that uh, a number of years ago, and then as Betsy Mitchell our athletic director arrived four years ago, she was able to really take up that charge and kind of carry it uh, into the, to the next to the next phase, and then recently, as Dr. Rosenbaum has joined us, he's been hugely supportive of that. We've we've had great support on campus, and as you can imagine, a campus like Caltech, there's a lot of things going on and a lot of uh, distractions. Um, as if I can call it a distraction, it's that actually it's their primary business, science. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're we're often the distraction, um, but it's good to see people get out of get out of their comfort zones and come over across campus and share in a different part of student life because it's, it's important for our kids. It's important that um, they, they be as good as they can be at, at their endeavors. So we've been really excited to see the support we're getting on campus from you know, the top to, the, to, to everyone uh, campus-wide. I, there was a lot of orange in the gym last night, and it wasn't – only students. There, there were a lot of, of people who came back 
uh, on a weekend to, to share part of, of their day with us. So it was great stuff. Yeah, we should point out, I mean, the, the, the steps taking forward. You know, Betsy Mitchell's the first full-time athletics director at Caltech. Uh, of course, comes in with a ton of experience herself, having been an Olympic athlete as well, but certainly um, uh, you know, brings in a, a different mentality. So you can start to see that, and you really you're starting to see that in some of the players that the men have had and some of the players that you guys have had. Stephanie Wong leading the way uh, on the stat column. She's one of, uh, of a number of juniors, but you also have one senior who's been through a lot in the last four years. This team, on a whole, has seen a lot, and, and these back-to-back wins have got to put more than a smile on their face. Yeah, I believe there is way more than a smile on their face. They are they're seriously excited and lots of great energy. Um and you referred to our senior Bridget Connor. Mm-hmm. I I have I think Bridget is every coach's dream in she gets that the season is built after we're done. She she puts in the time from March to October to get ready and would make time to be in the gym and shooting. Some days it was an extra 15 minutes worth of shooting. Some days it was an hour and a half. And, and Bridget's the kind of player who, who, who whatever she chooses to do, she does seriously. Um, and so it was fantastic to see that hard work pay off. This was one of her goals. This was one of the things that she wanted to get accomplished in her four years. And it took all the way to the end um, for her to to experience those conference wins that that had been her goal for a number of years now, and you know we we had a really ugly outing at Pomona last Saturday. It was not where we wanted to be at all, and much to bridget 's credit, she you know gathered her teammates up and and i can 't cite word for word because this was a team only no coaches kind of gathering. But I believe it was something along the lines of, come on, you guys, we're better than this. And they rose to the occasion. We had great practices this week. So, you know, lots of credit to the kind of player that teammates can get behind because they see the hard work every single day. Um, she, she did a great job, and we were so excited that we were able to, to give her this before she was done with us. Yeah, certainly uh, significant for her. Um, of course, the other big key to this whole, you know, of course, she hadn't had a Skyac win in her playing yes. career. Um, you guys had won uh, a game last year, but just not in Skyac action. Uh, of course, she's a chemistry major, um, which is already outdoing any the rest of us. Uh, you're a chemistry major at Caltech. But then you have Stephanie Wong, the junior, and a several other juniors, and you got some sophomores on this team how much does a win streak like this the fact that there's a player like stephanie wong who's the fastest to a thousand points in program history although a a small program uh, history we'll talk about that in a minute but how much do the back-to-back wins and success that you're having from these underclassmen kind of maybe even heat up the the recruiting trail just a little bit i think that they are going to really use this as a springboard, and I believe they are going to use this to create a lot of energy and a lot of uh, really concreteness around, hey, you know, we have a formula that, that works. And it took us a while through the season. We made some choices strategically back in October looking at our very, very sparse roster yeah. about how we were going to approach this, and it was kind of an all-in, like, okay, this is what we're going to do, and we're going to do it really well. And it took us a while to, to get some traction with that. We finally did, and, and I think it finally started rolling. And I think the thing that these uh, returners are going to be able to bring into next year with, 
with hopefully, we don't find out for a couple of weeks, but hopefully a nice little group of freshmen is like, like, hey, you know, we know what works, and playing together as a team works. We, we talked all season about we have to be greater than the sum of our parts, which I might add is a hard sell to, to science and sure. math kids because that doesn't that equation does not add up. Yeah. Um, but that we we had to do it as a team and be greater than the sum of our parts. And Stephanie Wong has come up big. We knew when she came in as a freshman, she was a program changer for us. Um, she's come up big in the last couple of games, all season long, been very consistent, uh, and and then really you know kind of went to town on. Wednesday night, she hit the the three-pointer that put us up with seven seconds left on the clock against Laverne and then came up massive last night, 31-point night with seven threes, and none of them were anything other than the decisive, this is going in the basket the second (laughs) it left her hand kind of shot, so it was great. And and she kind of leads our junior junior class, um, and, and then Kate Lewis has been just spot on all year long. She's averaging 18 points a game. She's leading the Skyac in scoring, and she's been fun to watch because she was out had uh, was out for, I believe, eight games um, with an illness last year, so mm-hmm. we really didn't get to see the completeness of what she had, and then, boom, all of a sudden, here she has come this year with, gosh, a, a, a just a, a, a amazing season, 20-point games, 28-point games, you know, just very consistent through the year of, of bringing us big points and giving us that element of the outside game with Steph hitting, you know, long range, the inside game with Kate pounding it in, and not even just the power game, just a finesse game at the rim that has been really a lot of fun to watch. And I cannot forget to mention in, in the supporting cast, um, that they've had, uh, you know, Stephanie's younger sister, Michelle, plays for us and has done a fantastic job as a defender and a distributor. And, uh, you know, Esther Dew stepped up last night especially and really got uh, took control of the tempo of the game and our bench, you know, Kristen Anderson and, and Mary Boyajian and Annie Chen went in and did did the things you need role players to do, went in, didn't get fancy, did exactly what they know how to do well, and they did their job at the right time, the right way. So it, it, it was an amazing team effort, and they all came together to give Bridget those wins. So um, we're pretty proud of them. You only have nine players on this team, but it's not like you guys <laughs> have been out of the, the discussions when it comes to a lot of your games. Um, you know, you look through the thing, UC Merced was a 16-point game. Um, you took on Milwaukee Engineering as a one-point loss at home. Johns Hopkins the next day, or wasn't at home. Uh, yeah, it was at home, sorry. The next day against uh, Hopkins at Claremont Mud Scripps, it was a 13-point spread. Um, you were within seven against Whittier back in early January. Um, you know, Occidental Laverne, the first time you, you played them this season, Occidental was an 11-point game, 8-point game against Laverne, 6-point game the, uh, a few nights later against Pomona Pitzer, 15-point um, game against Kalu, and now you get these two wins. It's not like this team hasn't been competing all season, and while the season's nearly over, you have one game left, I suspect this is the kind of thing that you can really ride this momentum forward. Absolutely. We have been in it um, in a number of games. Uh, we, we, we do have some, some fluctuations, and, and I think 
that one of the things at Caltech that's always going to be a factor is, you know, we've got some academic fatigue that manifests on the court in sure. ways that many other teams just don't, you know, face up against. The last time we played Occidental, we had six of our nine kids who hadn't actually slept that night <laughs> were pulling an all-nighter with with a, an especially hard problem set. So, you know, we've always got those kind of uh, those wild cards that, that pop up on us every now and then. But we've been in it a good portion of the season, and we've been going forward with that in mind. We've been practicing, you know, the, the last, last second shots. We've been working, how do we get a shot off? How do we make sure that we find the best possible shot, you know, uh, under, under five seconds on the shot clock, under ten seconds on the shot clock? So we've been really purposeful about the preparation for being in this situation, um, and it paid off big against Laverne. I admit that was a little bit um, of an unexpected uh, game when we played Occidental in round one. We felt like, hey, we had some extenuating circumstances that left us a little a little tired. That was our all-nighter um, episode that left us a little tired, so we weren't able to reach our best. Yet when we played Laverne in round one, we came up with a pretty great game. So we were like, okay, we're not sure if we can you know, do that again. We felt like we could get it close. But the idea of being in that game for the win at the end was just something that you know, we hoped, but we weren't sure it was going to materialize, and there it was. And so all of that work paid off big, and then we were able to build on that going into – Occidental and, and really come in feeling confident and feeling feeling strong and going, you know what, we, we can do this, and we've been working for this all season long, one step at a time, but this momentum has been building, and, and let's go finish this off. So we're pretty happy about it. We're pretty happy about how it came together at the end. Well, congratulations. Uh, got one more game to go at Chapman coming up here uh, on Tuesday. Um, it'll be a big game, obviously, for you guys to try and keep that momentum alive. Chapman, would, certainly the, uh, the, the wool will not be over their eyes in any way, shape, or form. They're going to be ready for you guys. Um, but, of course, the last time you guys played, jeez, um, I can't even find the game. Did, oh, there it is. Yeah, they, it, they, it, wasn't, they it didn't us. go very well. <laughs> no, no, and I think we definitely of all nights this season that particular night was a night that we saw the effect of nine players on the roster you know carol carol at chapman and i are, are good friends and we we talk a lot uh, of basketball and and in the off season and we have lunch frequently uh and we we talk about things you know like that in the last time we saw them you could see the moment at which the fatigue just took over and we we expired in in what we had in the tank so and I think Carol's aware of that and, and knows that. And so the, the final score is not quite indicative of, of what happened that night because we were in it, and we're there, and then, wow, it just kind of went beyond. No, no more fumes left for us to ride on. So I know that Chapman is going to be very serious about how they approach the game tomorrow, very respectful. They're not taking us lightly. They're not assuming that anything is done. They're going to have. They know they have to battle for it, and I think, I think we're ready to get in there and and battle for that as well, and and say, hey, you know, I, our goal last night was to play well. Our goal Wednesday night was to play well, and and we really didn't talk about winning until it was literally like, okay, now it's time to talk about this because it, it's real. 
we went with the idea, we want to play solid, we want to play well, we want to build on what we've done, and, and I think the game plan stays exactly the same going into Chapman. Let's finish this up with an outing that we can be proud of, that we can say, hey, we did a good job, and whatever happens is going to happen if we do a good job it's going to take care of itself at the end of the night. Quickly, before we let you go, we should point out, you know, we talk about the men's basketball team. You know, we got record marks back in the 50s and 60s, et cetera, et cetera. We don't have that with this women's team. This is a very young women's uh, program. You guys really have only been around since, you know, geez, we're counting, not even 20 years yet, uh, even as a club program. This, So these wins and these momentum swings and, and the development of this program maybe even has more significance for you guys. Oh, absolutely. We are going to celebrate our 20th season uh, next year. Um, the program started in 95 as a club program, and we took a couple years for us to become an intercollegiate program. And, in fact, we didn't actually get to be a full member in women's basketball of the Sky Act, despite our institution being a founding member of the conference, because they needed to make sure we were going to be solid and, and stick around. And sure. I think they started... Yeah, they started in the actually participating in the conference in our sport in 2001. Um, so, yeah, we don't have the the deep tradition of the men, and yet we have managed to to have some little little uh, spots of success and really uh, kind of build on the on the ups and and downs, the peaks and valleys. We've done this a couple times. Uh, we had some back to back wins a few years ago, and then you know I think. I think the recruiting part of it, finding young ladies uh, that are intelligent enough to consider Caltech. Um, there are not a plethora of young women still in the STEM fields, although our more recent success in the last couple of years is certainly reflecting a more mm -hmm. national and societal uh, surge towards encouraging young women to be a part of the math and science fields and, and, and to encourage them to have a balance to be academic and to have an outlet and to navigate their way through these very difficult classes uh, that we have on campus by having an outlet of uh, uh, taking care of their body and getting out and, and uh, doing something for, for themselves beyond the, the schoolwork. So I think we're benefiting from that. I think we're benefiting from some recognition on campus of, you know, hey, our student-athletes make incredibly positive uh, influences and contributions to to campus. We've got we've got kids on our team that are student are, are the the social director for the student body. We've we've got kids that are very active in Title IX. We have them. Uh, our SAC president Chris, is Kristen Anderson, one of our players, and so we stay very active in campus. I think half of my team are, are admissions tour guides. Hmm. So I think that we recognize the value that student-athletes and the leadership that student-athletes can bring a campus uh, of any kind of campus, and especially a campus where, you know, we spend a lot of time in laboratories. And so when they come out, we want to be able to have a great exchange and interaction with them. And I think our young ladies are doing a fantastic job of that, and it has helped the growth of our program with a very young very young history where there are not a lot of college, even today, there are not a lot of college basketball programs that are only 20 years old. Sure. Uh, and even on the women's side, uh, I was fortunate to play in college, and, you know, that was a lot longer than 20 years ago. So, <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, and, 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 we, and we occasionally came down to Southern California and played against some of these schools. Um, so I know that many of the programs have got a much richer, or not even, richer is not the right word, longer history sure. than our program. And so we're unique in that way. We're, we're, still, we're still babies in the, in, in the women's basketball community, and, and we're, we're working hard and we're continuing to build and, you know, one, one step at a time, and, and we'll get where we, where we want to be. Well, once again, thank you so much for joining us here on the show and talking about your team. Great to get your insight uh, on what has certainly been an, an outstanding week so far uh, for the team, but really a great season in many ways as well. Again, have that game coming up against Chapman. As always, I will give the coach the final word. Any final thoughts you'd like to share with those who may be tuning in? You know, I just want to make sure that I express how proud I am of our group. It has uh, definitely been a journey when we were sitting in October looking at the first day of the season and not actually even having enough um, young ladies to, to scrimmage, um, you know, you kind of go into the year and buckle up and say, hey, we're going we're gonna to make this fun. We're going to enjoy the academic um, and athletic combination and merging of these two great pieces of a college experience. Uh, we're going to set realistic goals and we're going to take days one at a time and, and see what we can get done. And then to, to hit our stride in January and really start to get our mind around what, what is possible was a, was a great point. Um, we had a lot of momentum going, and, and then the fatigue of early February. Mm-hmm. I think every team in the country deals with that these first couple weeks of February because kids are tired, coaches are tired. Yeah. And, you know, I come home and I think, oh, I'm tired. What if they've got to be tired? What are they feeling? And to see that all that the peaks and the valleys and 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 the context of the season come together in these great, very, very team focused, uh, everybody on board, everybody getting things done, wins is really satisfying. And it's one of the reasons that that you that I think a lot of coaches do this to to be a part of that wonderful college experience for young people and see the growth and see them kind of fight early on with, ah, I don't know if this offense is what, you know, what I like or I don't know if this defense is what I like. But to get that opportunity to see that really come together at the end and them all on the same page and all you know, moving towards the same goal um, has been pretty spectacular and, and just reaffirms to me that the 20-plus years I've spent doing this has been a – been a pretty good decision sure so thank you thank you often when you're on the losing end very few people are looking to talk to you and and i think losing teams often work probably harder than than most people would imagine just to kind of keep their head above water and to to survive so thank you for taking the time to to recognize you know, the the work that these young ladies have done. I, I really appreciate it. Absolutely. I appreciate you taking the time as well. Good luck against Chapman, and hopefully we're talking plenty more Beavers basketball in the future. Thank you very much. Sandra Marbot joining us here on the Hoopsville Hotline. Appreciate her taking the time to do that. When we come back, we'll jump uh, into some men's basketball discussions. Uh, we'll jump out to Illinois and talk to Aurora men's basketball coach James Lancaster. Listen to Hoopsville, presented by D3Hoops.com and the National Association of Basketball Coaches. If you've got any questions for us, tweet us at D3Hoopsville or hashtag Hoopsville. Email us Hoopsville at D3Hoops.com or join us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Hoopsville. More Hoopsville right after this. Every season starts with hope. 
and a dream to play for the ultimate title, to become NCAA national champions. And you can experience it live at the 2015 NCAA Division III Men's Basketball Championship, March 20th and 21st in Salem, Virginia. Hosted by the Old Dominion Athletic Conference and the City of Salem. Affordable tickets now available. Visit NCAA.com slash tickets today and make a date with champions. We've got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. Division Three allows you to give yourself to other things. Having that free time allows me to pursue the things that I want to pursue. Division Three athletics affords students the opportunity to, you know, engage in the other interests in their campus and in their lives outside of that sport. It allows you to just be able to do everything you want to do. I wouldn't change it for the world. Welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody. Hope you're enjoying this Sunday show, uh, February 22nd. Of course, we are in the final throws of, of the regular season, you could say. Um, and for many teams, it is conference tournament action at this point, trying to position yourselves to make the NCAA tournament. Um, and more importantly, make sure you get yourselves that automatic bid. We've been talking some women's basketball just now, and now we're going to switch back to some men's basketball and joining us is one of those teams who's fighting for an at-large bid themselves to make sure they can secure yet another NCAA tournament appearance, and that is the Aurora men's basketball team out of the NACC and, of course, out of Aurora, Illinois. So joining us on the Hoopsville Hotline is their head coach, James Lancaster. Coach, welcome to Hoopsville. Thanks for having on, uh, having us on, Dave. We Absolutely. Appreciate it. I appreciate it. Hey, listen, 19-7 and seven overall, 15-5 and five in conference action. You guys finished tied at the top of the conference, and thanks to tiebreakers, got the number one bid. The advantage there is you got to take a little bit of time off to maybe lick some wounds before you got into conference action uh, and got the big win over Marion to start your conference play back here uh, last night on Saturday. Now you'll take on Edgewood on Tuesday. How have you thought your season's gone? Pretty good. It's been up and down. We uh, just couldn't seem to stretch together more than five or six wins at a time. And, and we'd, we'd stub our toe. We'd run across a good team and, and not play well. Uh, or maybe lose our focus a little bit defensively or get beat on the boards. But it was hard to uh, really play consistent basketball this year. And, you know, our free throw shootings kind of hurt us all year long and uh, cost us some ball games along the way. But pretty pleased, you know, if you told me before the season starts, you, you know, you're going to win a share of the conference championship and have home court, you know, through the playoffs, I would have taken it. So. I was going to say, you started the season with wins over Milliken and lacrosse. Uh, then took a loss against non-Division three St. Francis before then losing to North Central. Um, and, of course, those games were spread out over some time, three days. Then you uh, got off on that five-game win streak. Then Edgewood came in and said, oh, thank you, uh, and beat you. Then you lost three. Then you or won three. Then you lost Milwaukee Engineering. Then you won five in a row and lost two out of the next three against Rockford and Benedictine and then lost that game again. Edgewood, who has your number this season. Of course, we'll talk about that game coming up on Tuesday in a minute you talk about the the challenges of the inconsistencies there uh is it just is it just that kind of season 
Yeah, it's really been hard to predict. I think you guys have been seeing it, you know, across the country uh, this year where, where games are hard to predict. You, you never know on any night. Uh, you know, and we don't know if it's, it has to do with, uh, you know, like I said, our free throw shooting or just the quality of the other teams in the league. And uh, we don't take anybody for granted. And, and some team people have played very well against us and, and uh, given us some great ball games. We've been fortunate to win a, a couple close ones. I, you know, I know we also we lost to Benedictine in overtime and we lost to Edgewood in overtime, but uh, we were fortunate to win some close ones early on as well. Yeah, I was going to, and of course, both those games you scored 94 points. That might be your Achilles heel. Yeah. Uh, you want to make sure you win if you score that many points um when you look at this team it is senior laden um certainly a lot of seniors but not necessarily those are the players who jump up in the stat sheet you're led by a junior in tyler hall at 14 and a half points a game three and a half assists a game um and shoots 45 percent from the floor kyle pilmer 14 points a game seven rebounds give or take a, a game brandon smith and by the way pilmer and smith both seniors Nearly 14 points a game. Uh, he shoots very well from outside at over 35%. Then a junior in Calvin Stokes is your other double-figure guy at 10.7 points a game, uh, 5.7 rebounds a game. should point out Smith also hands out two assists. So you got two guards and two forwards who certainly are playing well there. But as we mentioned, you're senior-laden. You've got a lot of experience on this team, and that makes me think that this is the type of season you want to take advantage of. Yes, it is. Uh, you know, we have seven seniors on the roster. Uh, they were fortunate to play in the NCAA tournament a couple of years ago. Uh, you know, we had some seniors on, on that group as well, and, and they're looking forward to or trying to work their tails off to get back to that environment uh, where they can kind of pass the baton on to the younger kids and give them the experience of being in the NCAA tournament. We think once you get that experience, the winning kind of carries over for the future, and you're able to attract a higher quality recruit and and uh, just set the bar a little bit higher for expectations for your program. You know, both in the off season and the next uh, preseason, as far as having a goal to work towards. Certainly, you've got Kalman Stokes, uh, a junior, and Tyler Hall coming back, but you do lose this group of seniors. What have they brought to the table in their careers at Aurora that has certainly kept up what has been a very consistent program? I think just just some stability. Uh, they know what it what we talk about and and what it is to be a Spartan. You know how they conduct themselves. You know on the bus, uh, in the locker rooms, uh, on the road, in the weight rooms, uh, in the classroom. Uh, you know, so when people come into our program, it's pretty clear of, of what our expectations are on and off the court. And uh, they're kind of like professionals. And I don't mean the word is as far as getting paid, but they're just pros about how they go about their business. You know, we don't have to worry about those kids academically or getting in trouble off the court. Uh, you know, showing up to practice on time and, and being ready to play, you know, our upcoming opponents. So just having some kids uh, that have experienced our program for some years and being able to pass that along to the new kids in the program. You also go deep on your bench. 11 players have played in 21 or more of the 26 games you have played this season. That certainly helps in a number of ways. Depth, uh, underclassmen getting some playing time, but what's been the secret behind playing that many guys this year? Well, hopefully it's attractive to, to other kids, you know, that want to play in an up-tempo style. Uh, you know, we try to get the games up into the 80s and 90s, and, and to do that we have to play a lot of people. Uh, you know, so many people focus on our offense, but, you know, we've led the conference the last few years in field goal percentage defenses as well. 
Uh, some people look at that we give up 70-some points a game, but that's the pace that we, we like to play at. So we really judge the quality of our defense by our field goal percentage uh, defense that we allow, and I think it's just under 41% this year, right at that. Uh, so we're good at that. And, and then our depth, I think when we lose the seven seniors, you know, we're not going to be totally devastated. We've got a lot of guys returning in the program uh, that have played meaningful minutes out there, you, you know, through the course of a tough season and, and uh, the conference tournament as well. So uh, we do have to bring in some guys, no doubt, to offset the at the loss of those seniors, but it's not like the coverage bear just because just we graduate those guys. Uh, you look at your stats, you're outscoring your opponents by about nine points a game. Rebounds is about equal. Uh, you point out the shooting. You guys shoot 46-plus percent. You're holding your opponents to 40 percent. Um, outside shooting is about equal at about 34 percent for both teams. But then that one jumps out at you, and that's the free throw shooting, 62 percent if we're rounding up, 61.7, mm. <laughs> yeah. 70.8 for your team. Uh, or for your opponent, I should say, leaving a lot of points on the line, as it were. Uh, I can imagine a number like that drives a coach crazy. Yes, it does. And, and we were fortunate enough a few years back to lead the country in yeah. free throw shooting. And uh, looking at the plaque on the wall right now. But uh, <laughs> so, I don't know where those days have gone. Uh, but, you know, I saw, uh, was watching Michigan State play the other day. And it looks like Tom Izzo is going through the same things there. It's hard to explain. Uh, we don't uh, shy away from talking about it. And we don't shy away from working uh, working on it as well. And, and, you know, if any of your listeners got any secrets out there, you know, give them my phone number. But, uh, you know, we're putting the guys out there trying to put them in some pressure situations. And, and we were fortunate. We made 25 free throws last night. And, and so that's a step in the right direction. And, and But it, it has cost us a couple games early in the year. And, you know, you can do the math on it. It's probably costing us two points a game, you know, on average over the course of the season. Um, you look at this conference, the way it's shaped up. You guys did end up tied with Benedictine, um, thanks in part to their win over you guys earlier in the month. Um, but you did get the tiebreaker. Unfortunately, you ended the season with a tough loss to Edgewood uh, at their place. But then that, that week off didn't hurt you as you ended up beating Marion. Now you got Edgewood again. You're facing them for the second time in about 10 days when you finally tip off. Um, is that going to be a, a benefit or is that null and void at this point in the season? I think it's null and void. Uh, you know, we knew we were going to have a quality opponent coming in here Tuesday night. Uh, we did just play Edgewood. It was a great game on senior night at their place up there. It went to overtime. Uh, we actually hit a last second three to send it into overtime. Uh, they've got six seniors in there as well. So they're an experienced, well coached ball club as well. So, you know, there's going to be 13 seniors, you know, fighting, uh, hard as they possibly can to continue their season. Uh, hopefully, uh, you, you know, the, Earning the home court advantage, you know, will pay off for us a little bit, or that gives us a slight advantage so that we don't have to travel on that night. But it's going to be a heck of a ball game. They beat us at our place, you know, early in the year, 84 to 76. Uh, we're actually, uh, I think, 15 and 0 when we hold our opponents under 80 points a game. We've given up over 85 times this year in conference, and, and all of them were losses uh, to us. So we know what we have to do. We have to be better defensively. Uh, they've got some great scorers out there as well, and and uh, you know, two great guards in Dylan Rush and, and Tal Deekfoss and and then they've got a great center inside in Trevor Neal. So they're a very good ball club. But, uh, you know, our guys are going to be up for the challenge. We'll have them ready to go, uh, just like I'm sure Coach Meyer will have his team ready to go, and it should be a great environment. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, not without getting into X's and O's and giving away strategy, but what do you, I mean, what are you, t what are you guys trying to remind your team about Edgewood that you need to take advantage of to make sure to hold them at bay? I mean, last time you guys played them at home was back on December 13th, and it was an 84-76 result. What what are you trying to turn around from that end, and what are you trying to turn around from from the game a week ago? 
Well, we, we've got to be ourselves. Uh, you know, in the two games, they've shot right at 50% against us. Uh, you know, the rest of the league has shot, you know, 40.3% against us, you know, and, and they've made, you know, 11 of, uh, or 20 of 43 threes in the two games against us, so that's almost 47%, yeah. where the rest of the league is 32%. We've also got outscored from the foul line by 22 in those two ball games. So, you know, by 11 a game, getting outscored by the free throw line in those games, we've got to do a better job of keeping them off the line and then, then knocking our free throws down. So, there's no major tweaks at, the, at this time. Uh, you know, we've got to make an adjustment here and there and, and put ourselves in the best chance to win, and our guys are going to have to make more plays than they do. Uh, we're going to have to compete on the boards. But, uh, you know, it's going to be nice to, to roll the ball out there and let those two teams go at it. Here's the thing. You know probably better than anybody, you guys probably aren't looking at a net large opportunity here. Mm-hmm. Um, not regionally ranked. Conference has been um, not ranked either. Been a lot of losses in conference. We can talk about that in a minute, which probably plays part and parcel into that. Mm-hmm. So you know you need to win to get in, as it were. Um, win or go home. So does that add pressure, or does that just kind of solve the problem? You just know what you have to do. Right. I, th- I think we just know what we have to do. We approach it as, as a game. You know, it's a 40-minute ball game out there, and we don't get into what happens if we win, what happens if we lose. We're playing the game for what it is. And not that it's just another game, because we, we understand the magnitude of the game. But our kids have been in this situation, I, I think, uh, you know, in the conference tournament. We've been in the conference tournament all eight years since it's uh, been in existence, now the ninth year, and uh, we're 16-4 and four in conference games. You know, so that's winning 18, I mean, in conference tournament games. So, uh, you know, that's winning at a pretty good clip there. So our guys know what it takes and, and know what we're playing for. But one team's going to handle the pressure better than the other. There's no doubt about it. We've got to be composed. Now, I think uh, neither team has an advantage here because he's got six seniors that have been in this. His teams have played very well in the tournament and, and very well in the tournament on the road as well. So, uh, you know, we're not looking like we have a decided advantage just because of our seven seniors because we're playing a very experienced team as well. Um, talking to James Lancaster, head coach for Aurora, the men's basketball team, as we said, having a pretty good season at 19 and seven overall, 15 and five in conference action, and the big game coming up against Edgeward Coach. Let's talk about the conference quickly. This is a conference that um, the top two thirds are at 500 or above, which I don't think we've been able to say about the NACC in a long time. It's it's a little bit more competitive. Um, the the you know, Marion, Milwaukee Engineering, Wisconsin Lutheran all ended at ten and ten in conference. Uh, Marion was eleven and fifteen. They're the first team that wasn't above five hundred. Milwaukee Engineering thirteen and thirteen. Wisconsin Lutheran fourteen and twelve. That's what it looks like on paper. Is it more competitive? There's no doubt, and not that uh, there hasn't been a top two teams that have had some some great ball clubs in the past. You know, uh, Keith has had a great team over there from Benedictine, and Edgewood had a great team. Marion had the team that made uh, you know a run at Stevens Point last year. So I think there's always been a good champion or, or second place team in our league. But I would think this is the strongest seventh eighth place team we've ever had, and and so it makes it a tough grind. I mean, when you're talking about 20 games, 10 home games, and 10 road games, you know, just in the regular season it, it really is tough you, you can take no team for granted we were beaten you know at Rockford College this year uh, you know and they didn't make our conference tournament you know they finished uh, ninth uh, this year in our league and so for them to beat our league champion uh, the team we tied with Benedictine University was beaten at home by Concordia Chicago who, who was the 10th place in the league so it's you know kind of like a lot of conferences out there right now there's just no gimmies anymore uh, out there makes it uh, you know very competitive night in and night out. We love that. 
of course, the scenario, too, is and we've talked uh, you know, in the past where you guys have gotten multiple bids out of this conference, mm-hmm. and it isn't going to happen this time. What kind of com- conversations do you guys have in conference about trying to make this conference more competitive? And maybe, you know, because it's flying a little bit under the radar right now, maybe a I think, uh, you know, just making sure we go out there and get get quality wins outside of our league. We're, it's tough to do when, when we have 20 regular season conference games. So, so we're allowed to play five games out of conference. But, uh, you know, uh, Benedictine this year opened the season beating Illinois Wesleyan, you know, at yeah. home, which, which is a good win for them. Uh, you know, a lot of people talked about our win against UW Lacrosse. Anytime you beat a UW school, you, you know, is good uh, recognition for our program. So I think we got to continue to play some of the top teams from the, from the other conference. Hopefully, get some wins out there and, and bring some recognition to the program. But you've got to have the strength, the schedule, and, and the record to do that. And uh, you know, if, maybe if we went twenty-two and three and, and then got upset in our conference tournament, you know, there would be an at-large bid coming out. But this year, like a lot of leagues, there was a lot of beating up on each other going on, and, and which made for a great conference race. And, and uh, you know, I don't think anybody's going to be upset if we don't get an at-large coming out of our league this year because uh, we don't think anybody's really in position to do it. We should point out you will bleed blue. Uh, You are a Spartan through and through, having played there and then assistant coach, then women's basketball coach, now the head coach. You've been the head coach of Aurora men's basketball longer than Caltech has had a women's basketball program. I bring that up because we talked to Caltech earlier. Uh, They started in 95 as a club, and you've been there coaching since 94 on the men's side, four years earlier with the women and, again, assistant coach. How, How, you know, what's it like to not only have graduated and played there, but also at the same time uh, kind of lead to this kind of consistency with the program that we're at least talking about Aurora in most NCAA tournament apparent, you know, occasions, I should say. Yeah, I've been pretty fortunate to, to work for the institution since, you know, pretty much a month after I graduated and, you know, being an assistant men's for four and then, like you said, 25 years with the, the women and the men. And, you know, it's one of the things we're most proud about is we've never had a freshman, uh, either men or women, you know, come through our program, play four years for us that didn't have an opportunity to play in the NCAA tournament. So been pretty consistent over there, and we've, we haven't had a losing uh, season with the men's program uh you know, for 21 years. Uh, so pretty fortunate with that way. But, uh, you know, just just proud to be in the league that we are. Uh, it's a way for me to give back to the institution that was there at an important time in my life. Uh, it's a, uh, don't look at it as a job as much, you know, as much as a passion that we, that we have. And I've never felt like I've been going to work a day in my life. I just came to Aurora University many years ago and still going to college here, it feels like. So. I still feel like you're going to college. <laughs> wow, Coach. The kids uh, keep you young. The kids yeah, keep you young. Keep you young. And, and now I actually, you know, I, you know, I have four daughters, and, and uh, one of them's already attending here, and the second one's coming here next year as well. God bless you, Coach. Uh, with the women's team, you had a 58% winning percentage, 80% in conference, got one NCAA tournament appearance in 94. With the men's team, you've got a 75% winning percentage in conference, 677 outside of conference. Uh, nine NCAA tournament appearances, barring what you might be able to do this year. That's at least half of your uh, coaching years, you've made the NCAA tournament on the men's side. How much does that create buzz on campus? How much is that almost starting to become expected from your program? Well, it it is a challenge for us, Dave. I'm I'm glad you said that because it's hard, and you have to remember that you know, these kids in this program haven't experienced nine NCAA tournament bids. You know, right. Maybe we have as a coaching staff. So it's hard when expectations get risen, uh, you know, uh, from other people and, and from ourselves on campus that we still take time to enjoy winning. 
You, you know, and, uh, you know, God forbid, but if this team doesn't, you know, win the conference tournament, make the NCAA tournaments, you know, it's not a failure. You know, it might be coming up short a goal, but there's still a lot to celebrate. Uh, they've been a pleasure to coach. Uh, they've uh, won a share of the conference championship, got the, got the number one seed, so a lot of good things have been accomplished. But it's hard when expectations are so high to still appreciate, you know, pretty solid years out there. But, uh, you know, you've got to work to do that. Talking to James Lancaster from Aurora. They will face Edgewood coming up on Tuesday in the semifinals of the NACC. Uh, of course, the team is having a terrific season at 19-7, 15-5 overall. Coach, um, before we let you go, I mean, obviously you want to win that game against Edgewood, um, but what are you going to take away from this season, and how do you look for, this, for the seasons ahead after losing such a good senior class? I think what I'll take take away is the memories of, of these seniors. They've been great leaders. They've been instrumental in our recruiting process. Uh, they're all graduating on time, uh, you know, and I think it's rare, you know, to have seven seniors do that. Um, but uh, just been a pleasure working with them. It is time for them to go, though. <laughs> you know, no doubt about it. Four <laughs> years right, is a long time. They've heard me enough. I've heard them <laughs> enough. So you just go on to the next chapter, and it, and it, and it you know, from when it's a coach-player relationship to a coach-alumni relationship, and, and I really like that. I've been fortunate enough to stay in contact with a lot of guys, you know, in our program, and so to add them to the alumni base will be uh, great. Uh, you know, and then to, to move on to the next challenge, which is is restocking the shelves and and uh, making sure we keep the program at the level that it's accustomed to. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to join us here on the show. Thank you so much again. Good luck against Edgewood coming up on Tuesday. Hopefully, you get that win, and we're talking about you winning the championship and the conference as well, and moving on to the NCAA tournament. But otherwise, congrats on the season, and uh, thank you again. Um, I should point out we always give you the final word, though. Any final thoughts you want to share with those who may be tuning in? Yes, I'd like to take the opportunity just to thank you and 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 thank Hoopsville and D3 Hoops, uh, you know, for all the support you've uh, given D3 Hoops, and and it's it's great to be able to log onto your site and listen to your show and find out what's going out there on the D3 landscape, learning about the other regions and and what's going on out there. But it certainly brought a, a lot of attention to. Uh, you know, the job we're trying to do as basketball coaches at Division Three, and we appreciate your efforts. Well, thank you, Coach. Appreciate the kind words. Good luck, and we'll talk to you soon, I'm sure. Thank you, Dave. James Lancaster joining us here on the Hoopsville Hotline. Appreciate him taking the time to do that again. Edgewood coming up on Tuesday in the NACC semifinals. Of course, they want to win the automatic bid into the NCAA tournament uh, and once again make it 10 out of 20 years for Aurora and James Lancaster. You're listening to Hoops Hope, presented by D3Hoops.com and the National Association of Basketball Coaches. Going to take another break as we head into our extended coverage here on Sunday night. If you've got questions for us, tweet us at D3Hoopsville or use the hashtag Hoopsville. Email us, Hoopsville at D3Hoops.com or join us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Hoopsville. We have plenty more guests still to come on the show as well, but we certainly want to hear from you and answer your questions if you happen to have any. Uh, you know how to do it. You're listening to Hoopsville, and we'll be back with more Hoopsville right after this. College basketball lives in Kansas City at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. The College Basketball Experience is the place to get your game on. It's not a museum, it's an experience you won't forget. Discover the history of the game in the National Collegiate Basketball Hall of Fame, featuring the Gallery of Honor, Mentor's Circle, and Honor Theater. Suit up in the latest CBE logoed Nike gear at the CBE Hoop Shop. Elevate your game today and visit the house that College Basketball built. I know sports is important, but having the academic part along with it is a big plus. I've discovered in myself, you know, a, a newfound ability to overcome adversity at all different angles. 
at a Division III school, school is really shaped around you developing yourself as a complete individual. The end result, in my mind, is you just become a very well-rounded person. Before I came into college, I didn't really think I'd be able to balance so much. It helps a lot that you have a family with your team that can guide you. With a D3 school, there's a lot of time for other opportunities. The coaches expect a lot of you during soccer, but after soccer, that's your own personal time to really find out who you are and other opportunities that you can pursue. By balancing all of my interests, basketball, my leadership skills, and academics, I'm able to better prioritize my life and to manage it. And welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody. Hope you're enjoying this extended version of the show, a little bit into overtime on what was a two-and-a-half-hour show. If you have any questions for us, tweet us at D3Hoopsville or hashtag Hoopsville. Email us, hoopsville at d3hoops.com. Join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash hoopsville. Of course, you can even chat on the YouTube page if you happen to be directly there. Got my 20, top 25 sheet and already starting to work on the top 25 for the men. Reminder, top 25 this week, then top 25 next week will be the penultimate. Pen penultimate, I can't say the word, huh. second to last poll next week, third to last this week, one poll before the, before the uh, tournament takes place, and then a poll after the tournament takes place. Uh, if you have any questions for us, again, at D3Hoopsville, hashtag Hoopsville, email us, Hoopsville at D3Hoops.com, or on Facebook at Facebook.com, slash Hoopsville. Um, reminder, we'll be on the air Thursday, 7 o'clock, with extended coverage as well as we take a look at the conference tournaments that have been taking place in the middle of and getting ready for them coming up. Don't forget, we have links on the um, on the uh, d3hoops.com to follow all of the tournament action. Uh, so go to d3hoops.com for all of your tournament questions. And the East Coast team's legitimate championship contenders. Um, Nick, I'm going to assume you're talking West uh, men. And I think anybody's a legitimate contender this year. Randolph-Macon's a legitimate contender. Uh, I think Babson is a legitimate contender this year in the in the uh, the chance of winning a national title. Um, who knows? With Dickinson, they might make a run for us. You never know. Albertus Magnus would might want to prove their detractors wrong and make a run themselves. Certainly, the Northeast is full of teams. You never know. Maybe WPI is underrated. Maybe they're overrated. Um, can a NESCAC team make a run? Possibly. Trinity, maybe. Who knows? Um, those in the Atlantic would certainly like you to respect them. I think Richard Stockton and William Patterson would like to prove themselves in the NCAA tournament. Remember, Richard Stockton made a run to the Sweet 16 last year, upsetting Cabrini along the way. Uh, as far as the Mid-Atlantic region, nobody jumps out at me. Certainly Catholic and Scranton are having decent years. The Centennial Conference and Johns Hopkins um, Franklin and Marshall and Dickinson are playing well. Can any of them make a run for a championship? I don't know. I think they might get outsized a little bit. So I'm not positive uh, on the men's side. Uh, you, listen, I think there's a lot of teams that can make runs. I think there's a lot of teams that can make championship runs. I think it's going to come down to how do we look at the brackets before I can make a better assessment. But, sure, I think there's teams on the East Coast that can make a legitimate run at a national championship on the men's side. On the women's side, uh, maybe a little bit more difficult, but tough certainly is a, is in that equation, I think. Um, I think there's some good teams that are going to surprise in the uh, in the east side of the country, but you've got Thomas Moore, 
you got uh, in the Great Lakes, you got George Fox in the West, you got St. Thomas in Minnesota. Those are also very good teams. Um, and of course, Amherst in the Northeast is always a team that you got to watch out for. I just don't know if they've got the team this year to make a run for it. Another question I got is who is going to host the Mid Atlantic Men's? Isn't Goldfarb too small for the NCAAs? Goldfarb is not too small for the NCAAs. You might forget that Goldfarb Gymnasium from Johns Hopkins actually hosted uh, earlier this a decade, not this decade, this century. Um, Hopkins has hosted on several occasions. It is not too small. I'll quickly look up what I think their numbers are for uh, for a location. Hold on just a quick second if you can hold tight for me. Um, according to our information, it holds 1,200. That is well above the minimum. So, no, uh, Goldfarb is not too small. It'll work out just fine. Um, and I think Johns Hopkins is in line to host the first weekend. Um, you know, and then it gets dicey. I mean, you got Dickinson, Catholic, Scranton, Franklin and Marshall, and St. Mary's in the mix. No particular order there. I think Franklin and Marshall's SOS is, is low, and I'm still surprised that they're ahead of St. Mary's as a result of that. And I think the only reason they may be ahead of St. Mary's is um, because uh, Franklin and Marshall has a better results versus regionally ranked opponents thanks to the results in conference. Um, interestingly enough, remember we used to have an F&M St. Mary's home-and-home home series for a number of years. Word I have is Franklin and Marshall backed out of that this year. I think they should have kept it. Would have helped them just a little bit uh, with that. Of course, it would have had a head-to-head -head game too. Um, however, I think I think Hopkins is in the driver's seat to host. Um, and then it goes to, you know, it could be Dickinson, it could be Catholic, though I don't think, with Catholics lost to Scranton, they may be in some trouble there. Scranton could certainly reemerge, but I think they're probably out of that conversation as well, so it could be two Centennials hosting. The big key, of course, being that women take priority, so even if Scranton was in position, their women are in position, so Scranton men most likely on the road anyway, unless the Scranton women were to fall apart. Otherwise, in the Mid-Atlantic on the women's side, there aren't going to be any other conflicts uh, as Salisbury and Stevenson, I don't. Uh, women, if they host their men's programs, are not strong enough to be hosting at the same time. So that's my thought uh, there. But no, Goldfarb at Johns Hopkins is plenty big enough. Twelve hundred could even host the next weekend if they needed it to. Uh, of course, being at Hopkins, it's in a perfect location. Um, parking is much better than it used to be. So uh, I think uh, Hopkins will host with no problems whatsoever. Um, if you've got more questions for us, tweet us at D3Hoops or hashtag Hoopsville. Email us, hoopsville at D3Hoops.com. Join us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Hoopsville. Certainly another way that you can um, interact with us. Um, if you've got questions, we'll answer them. We'll be on the air. We're going to a few more minutes unless we get no more questions. Again, Thursday, 7 o'clock Eastern time. Then next week, Sunday, we'll be back on the air. Probably about earlier. We usually go earlier. I think we go about 6 o'clock. Um, got a chat with uh, the the men at D3 Hoops with me and figure out the best way we want to do the show next week. Last year, you might remember, we did a big blowout show on Sunday and talked to many people and then decided to follow that up with a little bracketology show that we started after midnight, went for several hours and had hundreds of people watching, which was great, but I think it wore Pat and I out completely. Um, and then the next day, we had a busy day. So I'm not sure what we'll do. I do know we've gotten some requests for a more bracketology type, so maybe we will tackle it as such. 
We will see and see how it all plays out. But stay tuned to us on Twitter at D3Hoopsville and hashtag Hoopsville. Uh, of course, on Facebook at facebook.com slash Hoopsville. And then don't forget, you can follow updates. Uh, you can email us for questions, uh, Hoopsville at D3Hoops.com. Don't forget, too, the Hoopsville fundraising project. We're only 60% of the way to our goal. Here's the deal about the goal. The goal is important because our fees get dropped in half. We have to pay a certain amount of fees to to gather the, the donations and somewhat and then have the website run it. Indiegogo, etc. So if we hit our goal of five thousand dollars, our goal, our fees are cut in half. In other words, we get to keep more of our money. Now, here's the deal: last year our goal was ten thousand dollars, and we raised more than that. So right now we're sitting at a, a little under a third of what we raised last year. Um, the money basically helps us improve the show, improve the ability to cover Division Three. As you can tell, if you've watched this show over the years, the studio has vastly changed. That was also thanks in part to a, a water pipe break that we had to basically abandon this studio, uh, this office area, completely redo it, which cost some money. Um, of course, we had bills that were mounting up, and those cost. we had to pay those off. We traveled quite a bit more this past year to see more games. You might remember we got up into the New York area. We're going to go on to Boston, but that just didn't work out due to weather. So we uh, hung a left and headed out into some Pennsylvania and got to see some school games that we don't normally see. Last year, the, the fundraiser allowed us to go to the hoops uh, the ODAC tournament for a couple of days and get to a few more games during the NCAA tournament than we normally do. We we're hoping to do that again, but we need your help to do that. So if you would be so kind as to donate to the Hoopsville fundraiser, we got a week left in it. And if you can't, that is totally fine. Um, we would be happy to, to, to have you just pass it on to others. We also have heard some places that may be considering setting up a donation thing at, at their tournaments, which would be outstanding if that worked out. Uh, we certainly appreciate that support. So that's how you can uh, basically um, follow along with us and, and help us. So when I say Hoopsville is presented by D3Hoops.com and the National Association of Basketball Coaches, we need to add in, and I mean that honestly, and and to you as well, those who support our show um, in any way. And listen, any little bit counts. So if you have a few dollars of, of, of spare change you can pass on, we certainly appreciate it. If you can't, we certainly understand and certainly would not uh, bemoan uh, if you're not able to do that. If you have any more questions, at D3Hoopsville or hashtag Hoopsville, email us Hoopsville at D3Hoops.com or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Hoopsville. Again, Twitter at D3Hoopsville or hashtag Hoopsville. Email us Hoopsville at D3Hoops.com or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Hoopsville. That's how you can ask us questions. Um, a reminder, the final regional rankings that we will see will come out on Wednesday this week. Remember, last week was just delayed due to server upgrades. This coming week, it will be Wednesday. When, uh, men's came out pretty early on Thursday, so be ready for them at any point in time. Um, the women's came out later. Not sure why the delay on the women's, but sometimes it just depends on when the liaison gets it to Turner. Turner is the one who runs those, those websites. Um, so... Um, that's where that plays in. So you could expect regional rankings maybe in the morning. It might be in the afternoon. We don't know. We'll follow it here at D3Hoops.com, of course. Uh, we will tweet out and update you accordingly when it needs to be updated and give you an idea. There is a fourth regional ranking that nobody sees. We did get to see it a number of years ago, and sometimes we get the information in hindsight. Um, but those fourth regional rankings are done for selection purposes. 
Uh, don't forget then next Monday, a week from tomorrow, we will have our special selection Monday um, matchup Monday show. However, we're going to start titling it as it's gotten a little confusing. Um, we will talk to both committee chairs, both Dave Martin on the women's side and Jeff Burns on the men's side about the selections. We'll get your questions answered as well as best as possible. They're usually very good conversations and usually get a lot of good information from them as much as they're able to tell us. And we'll certainly gather that uh, and have that for you on that Monday show. Unless there's more questions from you guys, we're going to wrap it up. I want to thank all of our guests who appeared on the show, uh, including Southern Vermont's Dan Anglestad, William Patterson's Jose Rabimbas. I want to thank Jeremy Franklin uh, from Washington and Lee alum, gave us an ODAC preview. And, of course, I want to thank First Team Broadcasting and Andy McEnroe for uh, the donation to get Jeremy on the show. Uh, from Millsaps Women's Basketball, Chuck Winkleman. From uh, Caltech Women's Basketball, uh, Sandra Marbot. And from Aurora Men's Basketball, uh, James Lancaster. Primarily on Thursday, we will cover the uh, East, Mid-Atlantic, Great Lakes, and West regions. However, we will also mix in some other guests that are appropriate per results that are going on, as it were. Of course, we also have our City of Salem School of the Week. Uh, we will have that selection on Thursday. Of course, City of Salem, once again, the proud sponsors and hosts of the Division Three Men's Basketball Championships, um, those those semifinals, NABC All-Star Game and Championship Game to take place in Salem um, at the end of the tournament. Of course, the women's will be at Calvin for the first time. Uh, they will be playing those in Grand Rapids, Michigan, on the campus of Calvin College. One last chance, questions for us at D3Hoopsville or hashtag Hoopsville. Email hoopsville at d3hoops.com or Facebook at facebook.com slash hoopsville. This is a crazy week, and that's why we called the show Buckle Up this week because you do want to buckle up as we are getting ready uh, to tackle what is certainly going to be a fascinating week of basketball. A lot of Pool C teams already on the bubble. For example, Bates lost and Williams lost. NYU lost. I'm going to go out on a limb and say NYU out. Uh, Williams out. Bates probably safe just because they have one glorified strength of schedule. I want to thank Nathaniel for the um, wonderful contribution to the Hoopsville campaign just now. We certainly appreciate He selected the Dribble and Drive, which will get his public thank you right here on the show as we just did. We'll publicly thank everybody once the uh, broadcast or the campaign is over. Um, so look forward to that down the road. Got a women's question on the WIAC. Can two teams make it out of the women's WIAC? Who do you like in the WIAC? Well, let's look at the regional rankings first, Mark, because that's certainly the most uh, important part. And in that central region... Um, sorry, calling it up because I don't have it memorized. You do have Wisconsin Oshkosh sitting at 18-4 and four at 5th in the regional rankings and Wisconsin Superior sitting 8th in the regional rankings. Um, give me a moment here while I call up that, uh, that conference just so I have it all in front of me. Of course, the Superior won the conference at 12-4. and four. They're 18-7. and seven. Oshkosh is 11-5 tied with Eau Claire. They're 19-6. and six. Um, of course, Superior lost to Stevens Point on the 20, uh, in their last game. And Oshkosh, it's almost like the wheels have come off the bus. They've lost the last three to Superior, Whitewater, and Eau Claire. They'll take on Whitewater in the conference tournament coming up. Superior will wait to find out who they're playing. I would say the Wyack's in a little bit of trouble, Mark, to be honest with you. Um, I think the last three losses by Oshkosh has put them in a little bit of trouble. Go back to those regional rankings uh, yet again. Um, Oshkosh with yet another loss will fall. Superior with a loss may fall out. 
So I would argue, and I'm just going to put this out on a limb, um, they have Oshkosh at 18 and 4, and Oshkosh is 19 and 6. Um, whew, that is getting tough. Of course, they have a loss to Superior as well. Uh, the regional rankings last time they came out, Superior was 17 and 5, and now Superior is sitting at 18 and 7. Of course, I should say that's 18 and 6 because one of those losses does not count towards Division 3. Um, I, I, I'm nervous that the Wyatt gets two teams. Uh, I'm quickly going to look for uh, strength of schedules. Oshkosh is a 536. Uh, Superior is a 494. Superior is in trouble. Um, I like Superior to win it. And Superior is the only team coming out in the Wyack, I think. I think another loss by Oshkosh kills them. Oshkosh needs to win it to get in. Superior might get in if they get to the conference championship game, but I'm I'm not that confident. Um, I think the Wyack's a one-team bid or one league this year. I, I don't know. I could be wrong. There are 21 at-large bids, but that's a lot of losses, and you're going to have to get deep into that into that um, regional rankings. If it, I mean. Wheaton and WashU are probably in. North Central gets in. St. Norbert wins as an automatic bid. Oshkosh is going to fall already. Chicago probably moves up. Um, though, admittedly, I forgot what Chicago did today. So give me a moment to call up Chicago. Chicago had a good game going today against NYU, and they won 66-55. So I think Chicago will move up the regional rankings, but they probably won't get the automatic bid. I think Wyack's in some trouble. They may get a second team, but it's going to depend on who. If Oshkosh wins the automatic bid, I think Superior is out. If Superior wins the automatic bid, Oshkosh has a chance because they have a better strength of schedule, but I don't love it, Mark. I just don't love it. Last chance, Hoopsville at D3Hoops.com on your Twitter or hashtag Hoopsville. Email us, Hoopsville at D3Hoops.com or join us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Hoopsville. Um... That's how it's, I mean, that's where it comes down. Remember, strength of schedule and win-loss, head-to-heads, results versus regionally ranked opponents. Um, the fact that Oshkosh had, is in a skid of three games right now um, is not going to help them regionally ranked-wise, um, including another head-to-head loss to Superior. Superior can't take advantage of that because they lost to Stevens Point. Uh, Superior's SOS is below 500. It may get above 500 in conference play. Um, but it's only two games that's going to add to that, so I don't know how much that can add if they get to the championship game. Um, and really, yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough um, to see two teams coming out of the WIAC. I wouldn't be surprised if it's just one. I'm not going to be shocked if it's two, but I think it has to be the right two. Again, Superior win the automatic bid, maybe, and Oshkosh gets in thanks to a strong, uh, a decent SOS. Uh, Oshkosh wins the automatic bid. I think Superior's in trouble. That's how I would look at it at this point. Um, I think that's probably going to do it. Last chance, once again, hoopsville at d3hoops.com um, is your email. Hoops at hoops at d3hoopsville or hashtag hoopsville on the bottom of your screen right now or facebook.com slash hoopsville for questions. Again, back on the air Thursday, 7 o'clock Eastern time. We'll definitely go extended coverage. And then we're back on the air Sunday, probably about 6 o'clock, one or two shows on Sunday, and then one or and then another big show on Monday. We may even be on earlier Sunday than 6 o'clock. Um, we shall see. I'm going to talk to the guys, figure out how we want to do it, and we'll go from there. 
I want to thank everybody once again from Southern Vermont, William Patterson, um, from, from First Team Broadcasting and Jeremy Franklin, Millsaps and Aurora, along with Caltech, and, of course, their sports information directors who helped us get our guests on the show here today. Um, I think that's going to do it for us. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll look forward to having you back here on uh, Thursday. If you have any questions for us in the meantime, you're always welcome to tweet us. You can always welcome to email us, and you're always welcome to join us on Facebook. Again, big week ahead, conference tournament action. Uh, big deal on Wednesday as the regional rankings will come out. Last chance for us to get an idea of how everybody is sitting. Uh, and then, of course, we'll be back on the air Thursday and then Sunday. Thanks, for everybody, for tuning in. I appreciate it. Oh, one more question and sneaking it in. How certain do you think the chances are three women's Northwest Conference ending up in the same first-round pod like last year? The truth of it is, Justin, and you know this, the truth of this of it is, is the simple fact that flights are a killer. And if they can avoid flights, they're going to avoid flights. Um, three teams in the Northwest Conference getting in. To, to figure out the best way to do it and get a team out of there, it's going to depend on who else is in. If most likely just one team from California is in, and let's say, for example, last year you had one team, you had Rhodes be able to host Texas teams. That kind of forced the hand because there were no extra flights that had to be made. Now, if there are flights that have to be made, for example, you have got to fly a Texas team out or fly two Texas teams somewhere because they're outside of 500 miles from anywhere, then there's a chance you can, you can start rearranging things to make it work. Because if you have to fly teams, then that's going to maybe beg yourself to be able to get an extra flight. But if you don't have to fly teams, Northwest Conference may very well go back through each other like they did last year. Now, the caveat to that is how can you plead to the NCAA that that isn't fair? Now, the NCAA is going to plead ex, uh, money, and the, and the, and the NCAA is going to point out they can't afford this, especially when they just made a number of cuts in championship spending to get a $2.2 million uh, deficit taken care of. I, I'm not confident that the Northwest Conference can avoid each other. And I would argue there's a good chance four teams from the Northwest Conference could come out if the right team wins. Now, if four teams come out, you got to start shipping somebody. Even with three teams, you could argue shipping somebody. Again, it's going to come down to Texas, and it's going to come down to elsewhere where you run into a team who has to fly, who has to go somewhere. Uh, and if that's the case, then they're going to have some options. But, Justin, I – listen, bud, I, I wouldn't count on it. I don't like it. George Fox, Whitworth, Puget Sound, all good teams. Don't deserve to go through each other. May have no choice but to go through each other. I hate to say it. It's not ideal. It's just not ideal, but the ability to fly teams is costly. And, I, I mean, i got to look at it all, but I just – listen, if, if, if Claremont Mud Scripps is surprised uh, and it gets an automatic bid, let's, uh, I'm curious what their regional ranking is right now because I don't think they had a strong SOS. Claremont Mud Scripps is sitting sixth. 
if listen, I'm going to argue. Let's say Whitman surprises and wins a conference tournament. I think you got four teams from the Northwest Conference in. Um, that would that would force some hands. If Claremont Mud Scripps loses, and is a, is up as an as an at large, which means another Skyac team is in, and CMS makes it, that changes the equation too. Because now you got to fly the California school somewhere. You're going to have to fly the Northwest school somewhere. That might allow the committee to break it up. Because you're going to have to fly, again, going to have to fly teams. Texas, Tyler, Texas, Dallas, and Trinity, Texas, Louisiana College. you got schools there you may have no choice but to fly. That's, I hate to say this. The more flights that are forced in the first weekend because of locations of schools will benefit the Northwest Conference because they're gonna they'll they'll have excuses to fly teams. That's about all I can. That's about the best thing I can mention. By the way, Mark, thank you very much for your contribution to the Hoopsville fundraising project. We appreciate it. That's two two uh, fundraise uh, two contributions in the last. 10 minutes. We appreciate your help. So, Justin, I, I don't, you know, hold your breath a little bit, but eh. we'll see how the, how, how upsets go, but I, I don't like it, but I think it might happen. Might happen. Well, thank you everybody. Once again, for tuning in at D3 hoops or hashtag Hoopsville. If you uh, want to ask us questions in the off air time, you can also join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Hoopsville. Um, Gonna do it. Uh, hold on. Thanks for the response to the buzzer. Interesting expanded explanation. Ah, uh, flights. You're right, Justin. Ah, uh, flights. That's gonna do it, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll be back here Thursday night, seven o'clock Eastern time. Um, so tune in. We certainly appreciate your support. Um, want to thank all of our guests, and once again, thank our support of D3Hoops.com and the National Association of Broadcasters, and especially you, the viewers who tune into the show. We certainly appreciate it as well. We also appreciate your contributions. Going to take a uh, a few day break. We'll be back here Thursday. Crazy week ahead. Crazy uh, amount of shows. So please tune in and help us out. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Good night. And we will. Uh, the irony of Whitman getting the AQ is George Fox has to lose to them on Thursday in the conference semis. I know the irony of Whitman getting the AQ, Justin. Oh, I know. That's it for our show, everybody. Good night, and we'll see you back here on Thursday.